Hi, my name is Chris Brennan, and you're listening to the Astrology Podcast. Uh, this is episode 248, uh, recorded today on Thursday, March 26, 2020, starting at 11.06 a.m. in Denver, Colorado. So in this episode, we're going to be talking about the astrological forecast for April of 2020, and also reflecting on recent world events, uh, obviously surrounding the coronavirus and how everything has changed since our last forecast. Uh, hey guys, thanks for joining me today. Hey, hey guys. Hey, all right. So um, we recorded our last forecast. Um, usually these are always pre-recorded and we record them about sometimes like halfway through or sometimes towards the end of the month before the forecast actually is. And we recorded our last one um, sometime earlier in February, right? The forecast for March? Yeah. The 23rd of February, I think. Okay. So that's interesting because things were just starting to really develop and happen at that point, uh, but it hadn't really um, taken off as much in Western countries. And then uh, so much has changed over the, the course of the past few weeks, obviously, right? A lot Certainly. has changed. The world is quite different. <laughs> yeah. So uh, let's talk about that. Usually on the forecast episodes, we uh, over the past few months, at least, I try to just jump right into the forecast for the month ahead and save some of the other discussion for later. But um, with so much going on, that doesn't really make sense here today. So why don't we just reflect a bit on what's been going on? And that's also a good opportunity also to talk about some of our previous forecast episodes over the past several months and how that sort of relates to what's happening here, which is always kind of interesting. So one of the trends I've seen in astrological circles is that a lot of people have been talking about how astrologers have been talking about some of these major planetary alignments coming up for years, especially with some of the major outer planet alignments like the Saturn-Pluto conjunction, which went exact in January um, and is still very much in play. And it's interesting to see some of that stuff finally start to materialize and turn into like major world events right in front of our eyes. Is that a feeling you guys have had as well? Or I mean, obviously that's some really slight relief. Um, but is that an experience that you guys have had as a, as astrologers? I think it's been um, I think it's been shocking how uh, should we put this? Um, I think it's been shocking how precisely the events in the world have matched the astrology in a way I think we hoped wouldn't be true. You know, the <clears throat> astrology is very good at describing things both literally and metaphorically. And there are certain configurations that you really hope will stay firmly in the metaphorical. Mm. Yeah. Sure. I mean, yeah, because it was clear at the very least. I mean, one of the things that we were all waiting for to some extent, and even just economists in general, like not astrologers, were waiting for a recession and saying that we were due for a recession, and astrologers seeing all of the clustering of like the Capricorn placements and Saturn were thinking of consolidation and recession as very obvious manifestations of that, especially in terms of the in terms of the economy and we're waiting things that for things like a downturn. But seeing the actual specific reason for having like a major worldwide recession right now has been really interesting now that it's actually happening. Yeah, there's been um 
there, there's been uh, there's been this interesting experience of kind of knowing what kind of things, what kind of experiences, what kind of things were coming. Like and at like, you know, the only thing that saved us from a session last year was Jupiter in Sagittarius, and without that Jupiter, there was you know, there's nothing to hold it back. Um, mm. but I, I didn't, um, I, I expected a recession this year. I didn't expect it to get triggered by like a plague crisis. Um, but it's, it's also, it's inter One of the things that's interested me, um, that I think there's something to learn from, from this is you can kind of fit, you can figure out enough about things that you can know what strategy to take, even if you don't know why you have to take that strategy um, and what metaphors are appropriate. You know, just taking Jupiter and Capricorn, you know, co-present with Saturn and Pluto for much of the year, um, and additionally afflicted at various points, such as now. Um, you know, you would just say, if you knew Jupiter was not in a great place for a year, um, that going big and uh, going big and risky would not be a good idea, right? That's something I think any astrologer would say. It's something I said, I'm sure a million others said. Um, and you don't necessarily know why. You don't know that there's going to be, you know, you don't know that there's going to be a plague crisis in, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, developing in late February and March. But uh, you can you can look at Jupiter and be like, hmm. I think I'm not going to go huge, uh, huge and risky and leveraged uh, in whatever sense um, this year, especially not during the time that those are, <clears throat> especially during the time that those configurations are present. And so that, that's been one of my reflections on this. There are certainly a number, but that's one of them. Sure. What about you, Kelly? Yeah, that's a really eloquently put, Austin, the idea that the astrology points to the type of strategy that's appropriate, even if you're not sure of the specific circumstances that would need that strategy, if you like. And it reminds me right. of something that when I was doing my year ahead stuff and when we had talked, the three of us, you know, I kept thinking everything goes back to Saturn this year. You know, there's this pileup of planets in Capricorn all ruled by Saturn in one of his own signs. And even with the sign split, you know, with Saturn having moved into Aquarius and Mars about to follow suit, it's all still under the rulership of Saturn. And I kept sort of saying to my students at the start of the year, we just have to do the Saturn thing this year. We have to, whether it's play it safe, whether it's think about long-term rather than short-term, and it didn't seem to make sense when I was talking. Like I couldn't see why or how that would you know, manifest back in January, but it was very clearly Saturnian themes. And given the extreme way that that's manifesting now, I, I feel like we're all getting a masterclass in the Saturnian approach of things like isolation, staying alone, being more of a hermit, being even more frugal, you know, the idea of just going to the grocery store once a week, and that is different for many people. You know, I, there are some people that go more often or you have to cook your own food instead of eating takeout. There's all of these kind of getting back to basics, focusing on, you know, if there are limitations in grocery stores or supply chains, is it 
important that you buy that fancy piece of chicken breast or should you buy some tuna and rice, you know? It's that idea of getting back to what's essential rather than what's frivolous. And it's fascinating to see how it's shown up. Of course, as you said, Austin, sometimes we'd like it to be more symbolic than literal, but it is very much about (laughs) the Saturnian you know, if you think if you've got a choice, you just sort of try and think about what is the most Saturn response to that at this point in time. Right. And maybe we should actually just recap what practically speaking has happened in the past month since our last forecast was reco- recorded. Because as we were preparing for this, I was having trouble thinking of like how we should start this episode. But now I realize as we're doing it, something that might be useful if every, anybody ever watches this like 10 years from now is um <clears throat> for us to actually describe like how much the world has changed in the past like 30 days just from a practical standpoint and then actually start dissecting it astrologically um and i meant to say at the start of this for full disclosure that i actually got sick about a week and a half ago and lost my voice so that's why it's kind of scratchy and i'm actually a bit out of it today we were meant to record this episode last sunday but i was actually so sick that we had to postpone it till today uh, but uh, so if I'm a little out of it or or not as put together, that's part of the reason why uh, today. But you guys are gonna help me help me pull through this episode, right? Yeah, absolutely. Indeed. Yeah, and you're just uh, giving us a demonstration of some twelfth house Capricorn themes. <laughs> you've you've yeah. really gone the extra mile for your listeners. <laughs> yeah, my twelfth house perfection year that we had been talking about for a few months got me, and it was I actually got sick right as. Um, so I'm in a 12th house perfection year. For anybody, it's good good astrology. It's an, a good astrology example. 12th house perfection year, natal Mars in the 12th house in a day chart. So it's my most difficult planet. And uh, I got sick the weekend that transiting Mars exactly conjoined my natal Mars uh, at 19 degrees of Capricorn. It was actually the weekend that Ariel was out here to record that episode. And that was the week that everything went crazy. In the United States, and people started panicking, and and everybody was starting to implement social distancing and everything else. But that was the last thing that I did because she was already scheduled to come out here before um, before all this happened. So that was when I got sick. Though it was when Mars transiting Mars hit my natal Mars in the twelfth. So there's a good good example astrologically. Yes. So bring on bring on Mars to keep keep moving. Yeah. So what happened though is <clears throat> um, a month ago, everything, at least in most Western countries, was like relatively fine. Let's say mid February ish, like around the time we were planning and getting ready to, and then recorded our last forecast episode. Uh, there were reports, and obviously things were becoming more serious um, in the news media in some other Western countries, and there had been. Reports from China since like January about this the developing virus about the coronavirus spreading, um, but then all of a sudden things got really real starting in late February and like the first half of March, sort of developing on a daily basis, right? 
Yeah, we were actually, my husband and yeah. I had a, there was a break week in school here in the last week in February in Europe, well, in Belgium. And we went to Spain for a few days for a holiday because it's sunny and warm down there. And as we were coming home, which is the very end of February, the very start of March, the situation in, in Italy was rapidly escalating. And people were asking us, you guys going to be okay to get home, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And we're like, yeah, we'll be okay. And we got home. And then, uh, you know, I think Italy was where in the West, certainly it, it kind of went downhill really fast, quite like first. Um, Italy was the first place to, and it's still, you know, particularly in the northern part of Italy, and that led to other countries in Europe starting to close their borders. And, and in Belgium, we went into a lockdown protocol on March 12th and France followed suit, you know, around the same time. Spain's uh, cases escalated through early March. And uh, so the first half of March, it, it felt like it was hitting Europe and we were talking to friends back in Canada and the States and Australia and it was starting to break there. But the response, particularly in Canada and the States and Australia, was almost like a 10-day delay from what we had got in Europe. So it has been progressive, I guess, in that different parts of the world have been hit almost in like waves at different times. Right. Uh, yeah. And yeah. And so the US and other countries were like almost 10 days behind Italy, but then that was giving some real preview. And then people started really worrying. And there was like a period in early March, I think, of when people started panic buying a ton of supplies and stuff at grocery stores, right? Yeah, that's when it started to seem a little bit more because I remember it was around the full moon in Virgo, which was March 9th, that a lot of the material about hand washing was coming out. And, you know, you think about Virgo as being a sign of hygiene and cleanliness, but you don't necessarily think there's going to be a global health campaign about the importance of, you know, getting the germs off you and keeping them out of your house and things like that. Right. I thought that was hilarious at the time and I made a joke about it, but then it would turn obviously it was like much more serious because people were trying to wash their hands and like actually being concerned about um a very Virgo thing, which is like tiny um what microbes or like a virus and little um things that can spread by uh just germs and like not washing your hands and then touching your face. I think that's why it's a Virgo thing though, because they're microscopic little organisms, but um powerful. Yeah, right. It's um, a, it's any a other, perfect fit. Any other recap stuff that you can think of, Austin, in terms of just setting the stage for this discussion of what happened over the past month? Well, I think it's interesting that there was a lot of uncertainty. Um and uh, there's a well, there's still a lot of uncertainty, but there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of uncertainty um leading right up to the direct station of mercury mm. um and then things literally started moving in a very uh in a much clearer direction once mercury station direct was that the 9th 10th of march that's a really yeah. good point because it was just a few days after that that the world health organization upgraded the public health you know, international concern level of coronavirus to a pandemic. That announcement came out on March 12th. And that, I think, then started to really snowball. Oh my gosh, Mercury Station Direct, we've had the full moon in Virgo. There is something really serious here and we better, you know, start putting more clear information out. Yeah. And some of also even the downplaying and the misinformation surrounding the seriousness of like the virus was happening during the Mercury retrograde 
And I feel like that's what changed when Mercury finally stationed direct um, as well around March 9th is like some of the Western governments started actually taking it seriously and changing their statements about how it was going to impact people and how seriously the public should take it. Um, but also going back to that in February, I think one of the things that we Kelly wrote like a really brilliant article about this that was on almost the exact same page that I was over the past couple of weeks, just noting that it seemed like all of this really intensified once Mars went into Capricorn on February 16th. And that was when the virus really got serious once um, Mars entered the same sign as Saturn and Pluto and Jupiter in the South Node. And that's something that we noted was going to be an important hot spot this year in the year ahead forecast. But it was interesting to see that that really did seem to correlate with that ingress as the conjunction between Mars and the other outer planets started building up at that point. Yeah, absolutely. One of the, I think one of the simplest and most useful uh, pieces of timing astrology wise is that we had the exact Saturn Pluto conjunction at the end of, uh, uh, at the end of January. Well, in the middle of January, um, but that that's a that's a slow thing and lasts for a bit and takes a little bit to completely show itself, and then and so Saturn Pluto, as Rick Tarnas wrote voluminously many years ago, um, you know, is about all of these themes. It's about um, uh, it, it's about hard times. It's about tremendous fear. Um, it's about uh, fear, control, disaster, you know, kind of all the bad things. And one of the um, one of the, the the experiential themes that he draws out is the feeling of isolation or imprisonment. Um, and so certainly with um, mandatory quarantines, people are experiencing isolation um, in a new way. Um, you know, I've been living, apparently my lifestyle has been quarantined for a long time because I don't really leave the house. I have a 12th house moon ruling my chart or ruling my ascendant. And so, you know, I'm just kind of in my office anyway. But um, what, but so you have this long running um, configuration that speaks voluminous, you know, speaks uh, to several dimensions of what's happening now. And then the Mars moving into Capricorn, which Kelly just mentioned, is setting, you know, was setting that on fire, you know, really ramping that up. Um, and so we have a longer term thing, and then you have, you know, a more swiftly moving, malefic Mars, um, you know, uh, getting that, making that very obvious and, uh, yeah, uh, fast, obvious, scary, et cetera, et cetera. Um, right. And so that's that's a it's interesting that there's a million other astrology things we can say about it, but Saturn Pluto set off by Mars times it perfectly. Mm. Yeah, and those are the two probably main things that we're going to focus on here in terms of this is like the in terms of the coronavirus and the current pandemic is the Mars Saturn conjunction, which is impending is and is about to culminate here very soon um, in the next couple of weeks. Although it has a longer term effect than that. And then also the major Saturn Pluto conjunction, which when exacted January, actually not long after the World Health Organization first, I think, reported the virus, but um, has a longer term impact that's going to come back at different points during the course of this year. 
Um, so those are going to be the two main things I think we're going to talk about related to the the coronavirus or that's being attributed to it from an astrological standpoint, right? Yes, I think in terms of how that's affecting our experiences at this point, for sure. Okay. Um, so let's, I guess let's let's jump into that then, or or let's ground it in that a little bit more, which is the Saturn Pluto conjunction. So Kelly, you had some dates on the virus and when it when was it first announced by the World Health Organization again? Because that date ended up being the most interesting. It seemed like. There was a statement that they put out on January 30th about determining that coronavirus was what they call a public health emergency of international concern. And I guess they had done their research. Obviously, they'd been following what had been happening in Wuhan in China and realized that at that point, January 30th, that this uh, virus was not going to be contained to China. It was going to become an international concern. So, it was, I think it was late December that it was first identified as a virus or the, the first cases were reported, but that escalation to this is something that the world needs to be watching was January 30th. Right. But the, so and you, could, the you can see WHO, a or no, this is what it is. In Wikipedia, at least the current version of the article for the pandemic mm. says that health authorities in Wuhan, the capital of uh, Hubei province in China reported a cluster of pneumonia cases of unknown cause on December 31st of December 2019 and an investigation was launched in early January 2020 so that must have culminated then eventually with that announcement you're talking about Kelly by the World Health Organization which was what date again well that was end of Jan that they said you know by that point we're a few weeks after the Saturn Pluto conjunction but they're like this thing is going to be big basically. Um, I think the first deaths in China, Brian's just jumped into the chat, um, China announced the first death on the 11th of January, and Saturn Pluto had their exact conjunction about 24 hours later. Okay. And, and we had the eclipse then too. And they, That's right. Thanks. Yes. And here's going back to yeah, the- So you can see a lot of, you can see a lot of the- um, you know the the rough astrology of late December and January bearing fruit. You know, there's um, it's very uh, it's it's very common in uh, in evaluating the effects of eclipses to assume that they're not they're not simply at the time though they do have an effect at the time, but that they will take a while to to bear fruit. Um, and so you can see with this particular stream of events, you can see this getting started during the during the eclipse season, which was intertwined inextricably with the Saturn-Pluto conjunction. And now, now we can look back and say that ah, that was the that was the origin period for what we're experiencing now, but it wasn't clear at the time. Right, and that's one of the things. Obviously, that's something we always say about eclipses that they have a six-month duration, and sometimes you don't always see the manifestation or realize what was initiated at that time was important until later. But it's interesting seeing that also happen with something as important as like the Saturn-Pluto conjunction, which lots of lots of astrologers were commenting on and watching back in January. But it's not until now that we really see what was. Like permeating or what was getting started at that time that was really ramping up that the, would become such a major worldwide phenomenon just a month or two later. Mm -hmm. 
it's like an interesting lesson astrologically in general because we also see this as astrologers in natal charts sometimes where something happens under an important transit in the person's life or something that will affect them but they just don't know about it yet and sometimes they find out later at some point or realize the connection or sometimes they never do but it's interesting seeing that in a global sense with a global phenomenon like this as well yeah it makes um it makes certain principles really clear yeah and i think one of the things that both of you have mentioned that i just want to like jump on as well as that idea of Mars coming to join the Capricorn party. We've really seen the escalation and the aggravation of the Saturn-Pluto conjunction. I mean, the stuff was going on in January, but we're really seeing it come out, uh, you know, from, you know, I think it was February 16 that Mars went into Capricorn and Mars, uh, you know, is there until the end of March. And so it's it's been in that time frame as Mars has passed over the eclipse points and passed over all the other slower moving planets in Capricorn that we're almost getting, it's like, oh, this is what that's about because we've got that trigger transit coming through. Yeah. So here is um, <clears throat> for the video version of this episode. And I did want to mention that all of these episodes, because somebody messaged me the other day asking if there were any visuals for our podcast episodes. And I had to tell them that we had actually a whole YouTube channel where we do video versions with visuals of each episode. So if you're only listening to the audio version, there's also video versions you can find on our YouTube channel where you'll find visuals. So for those who are watching the video version, um, I'm going to put up the chart right now from the past few months so people can see some of the transits that we're talking about. Um, first starting in January, <clears throat> where we obviously already have this pileup of a lot of planets in Capricorn, which includes uh, Pluto and Saturn and Jupiter and the South Node. So that's like four very slow-moving celestial bodies or, or major celestial bodies. And then Kelly, the point that you were making was then what happened eventually is that Mars joined the party and moved into Capricorn in mid-February, and that's when things really started accelerating. Yeah, it is not as though the problem wasn't already there because it was, but it just seemed as though I think to use Austin's phrase, it was like it sped things up and it certainly accelerated the dispersal and the progress of both concerns around economic issues uh because that's sort of part of this, you know, and, and my thought is we've got a health crisis and we have some economic problems and the two are sort of originating connected to the same type of event or in the same time frame even though that going forward they're likely to play out differently and the mars in capricorn is just inflaming all of this uh and there's so many nuances to this it's the three superior planets in the same place but it's also mars and jupiter chiming in on the saturn pluto and then if you're taking total sort of traditional, you've got the three malefics, the south node, Mars, and Saturn in the same place, and Jupiter really struggling by being so close to all of those. So it, there's a number yeah. of ways you can approach this and describe this as a very difficult combination of, of cycles or planets. Yeah, it's worth noting that in, <clears throat> uh, in my Vedic training, um, mm. when you have multiple malefics, especially Saturn, Mars, or Saturn, uh, south node, on top of a benefic um, that 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 is considered to take that benefic out of the game, 
Yeah. Um, that that benef- that basically, you know, part of the malefic's power cancels the the malefic, or excuse me, cancels the so Mars Saturn canceled Jupiter, and then they still have power left over to run around and do stuff. Um, and so it, it, practically speaking, it takes Jupiter out temporarily so that just the malefics get to party. Um, and that is, I, I think, a very good description of um uh, of some of the way that this is has this has unfolded um you know we can see jupiter as the wise counsel the doctor the one who's capable of helping right and so even if there's something very difficult happening if you have somebody that has the solution then it can you can keep it from becoming a huge problem um but with uh, Jupiter so burdened, the solutions uh, unfolded uh, or have unfolded, or even if if they have at all, um, much more slowly than than the problems. Right? We need to see it as Team Malefica um, vastly outstripping the power of of Team Benefic. Yes. And if you think about that, the symbolism is so clear. The industry that has unfortunately helped disperse this is the airline industry, just in terms of not that the airline industry itself is at fault, but everybody flying around the world so often has helped this uh, move and spread as quickly as it has. Um, But that industry is now completely broken, if that makes sense. The airlines are grounding planes and there are no flights and – the so the we're sort of seeing the some of the Jupiter symbolism those industries the education industry and I think they're suffering the most the airline industry the education as well as you know entertainment well, event, hospitality events people who plan events yeah yeah is, it's the, the biggest you know that's groups of people together literally yeah, every um, every industry is ground to a halt right now that's what's so unprecedented about this is that literally like the entire economy around the world because everybody is. I mean, obviously, there's some like Zoom, for example, which we're using right now, which is webinar software, is doing incredibly well. But like, for example, in Colorado, we're under mandatory lockdown right now, where you're not supposed to leave your house, um, and so every like local business, for example, is just basically shuttered at this point, um, and it's really hard to even like estimate or, or imagine like what that. Actually, is going to be like in terms of how many different cross sections of the economy and the world that it actually affects or has effect on. Absolutely, and I think to um, to go to Austin's point briefly, the idea that the medical system, you know, if if you've got a problem but there's a solution available, it's okay. We've got a big problem, but the medical and health systems are not able to provide what's needed at the volume. And I think that is a little bit represented by Jupiter's condition here. And then to your point, Chris, uh, most of the economies have stopped, but grocery stores and therefore truck drivers who are supplying the grocery stores, in addition to anyone who's, you know, you know there are talks of um, nurses and doctors being recalled from retirement to help participate. There's a few very specific parts of um, the economy that are just can't keep up with the demand right now. Yeah, the the pain is not um, fully evenly distributed. Sure. Um, So so a lot of this, though, at this point, especially where we're at right now at this current period in time, since we're it's March 26, 2020, and 
it's been really clear. I think as soon as Mars went into Capricorn, that um, there was a sense of like panic and a sense of fear that uh, really ramped up at that point uh, over the course of the next several weeks, and that's something that is common or is a theme that sometimes comes up with Mars Saturn conjunctions. And that as soon as that ingress took place, it seemed like that was the ramp up to the Mars Saturn conjunction that we're going to have here. Uh, that goes exact at zero degrees of Aquarius at the very end of this month, I think on the last day of March. Um, and thinking about that Mars Saturn conjunction in the current pandemic, I keep uh, over the past few weeks thinking back to a similar Mars Saturn conjunction that occurred a few years back in Scorpio, which was the summer that the Ebola outbreak, the big Ebola outbreak happened. And I remember it being very much centered on that and centered on people's uh, fears surrounding the Ebola outbreak and that becoming a much wider epidemic or pandemic, as well as um, attempts to stop that and attempts to like keep it under control during the course of that summer. Do you guys remember similar themes? Absolutely. Um, and one thing that's really interesting about that is there have been Mars-Saturn conjunctions since then, but that was the last Mars-Saturn conjunction in in a sign that one of the malefics ruled. Mm. Right. That was Mar that was Mars and Saturn in Scorpio, which Mars ruled. And then, you know, there were Mars-Saturn conjunctions in Sag, but that's ruled by Jupiter. And so we didn't get um that kind of uh, you know outbreak, but <clears throat> now we're here, and it's Mars Saturn in Capricorn, which is actually the one sign that both uh, Mars and Saturn are happiest in. It's the one sign that dignifies both malefics at once, um, and so here we are again. So it's not it's Mars Saturn, but it's also Mars Saturn in a place where at least one of them is very strong. Right. And Mars Saturn and Mars Saturn conjunctions, obviously, traditionally in traditional astrology, those are the two malefic planets, the two most difficult planets, and were often the two planets um, in ancient astrology associated with things like like pan pandemics and diseases and um, you know negative things, all a lot of negative things. Yeah, pretty much all the negative things, all the problems. Yeah. So a conjunction of those, of course, is is going to be seen as bad. One of the things that I love that you pointed out in your article, Kelly, is that typically, well, actually, two things. One, um, one of the things that a lot of us have been rereading, like Richard Tarnas's mm. work, Cosmos and Psyche, recently, because he had a lot of really prescient things to say about the Saturn-Pluto conjunction, uh, which he was really focused on because that was one of the primary signatures that modern astrologers. Uh, associated with September 11th, 2001, at where there was a Saturn-Pluto opposition at that time between uh, Gemini and Sagittarius, the Gemini-Sagittarius axis. So he put a lot of focus on looking at Saturn-Pluto cycles through world history um, and contextualizing it within the context of that, and actually made some statements that were really relevant about what's going on right now at this current Saturn-Pluto conjunction. So. Um, I was rereading that. It's really brilliant. One of my only minor critiques was that um, he used really wide orbs, which I actually agree with. But one of the reasons I think he could almost even improve that is if he paid attention to those outer planet aspects coming into effect when the planets are configured by sign, that there's a much wider range 
where it actually starts when there's a sign-based configuration instead of just a degree-based one, even if it does become more intense once it gets closer to exact by degree. Um, and I think that's something that we've seen here with the Mars-Saturn conjunction with that accelerating as soon as Mars went into Capricorn and joined uh, Saturn, which was at the end of that sign. And it's obviously growing more intense, and we're about to start seeing some of the worst effects of it take place over the next few weeks probably as that conjunction goes exact. But one of the things you noted, Kelly, is that this one is unique because usually a Mars-Saturn co-presence when they're in the same sign just lasts for like six weeks. But because this is going to go over into two signs, not just in Capricorn but also in Aquarius because Saturn just changed signs, that it's actually going to be a much more extended co-presence than usual. Yeah, that seems to be one of the unique features, which is, yeah, normally we have Mars and Saturn co-present for six weeks every two years. And what we have in this first part of 2020 is we have about 12 weeks because Saturn changes signs and goes into Aquarius and Mars joins him. So we have six weeks of Mars-Saturn co-presence in Capricorn, which we're coming to uh, the end of now at the end of March. And as we transition into April, we start the beginning of the Mars-Saturn co-presence in Aquarius, which will be all of April and up until about the 13th of May. And to build on Austin's point earlier, I think it's a combination. It's significant in that it's an extended Mars-Saturn co-presence, but it is also an extended Mars-Saturn co-presence where Saturn remains the ruler. So Saturn, you know, it's malefic rulership, you know, giving the malefic dignity or strength, if you like. So I think that's a factor here that Mars is not only co-present with Saturn, but in a sign ruled by Saturn. And that really spoke to me of the bound quality. And we're seeing this increasing restriction and limitation on our movement, on our choices. I mean, you know, we talk about what's changed in the last few weeks. I've had, you know, we've got a conference that's not going to happen in person. That's hopefully going to happen online. But all of travel that we might have, you know, each individually planned over the next few months, everything's cancelled. So it is that sense of uh, the Saturn limitation, the restriction being being heavy and it's a weight to carry, but it's a weight that has to be carried, if you like. So it's that combination of Mars-Saturn co-presence as well as the rulership factor of Saturn. Yeah, and, well and that gives us, and in terms of this present crisis, it gives us some interesting dates and kind of like timeframes to look at. Um, and there's probably three especially then that are important. Um, and I'm just going to share the chart again so that we can see. So the first date in terms of the Mars-Saturn conjunction that becomes important, the starting point of all of that is when Mars ingressed into Capricorn and begins that whole phase of moving into the conjunction with Saturn. So the exact date for that was what, February 16th? Yeah, February 16th, I think. Okay, so Mars moves into Capricorn, begins moving into the conjunction with Saturn February 16th. Um, eventually, <clears throat> it culminates and reaches the conjunction with Saturn on March 31st at zero degrees of Aquarius. So this is the exact Mars-Saturn conjunction and is then the sort of epicenter or what what keyword would we use to to categorize that like the peak period of intensity and in, of the conjunction of that configuration between those two planetary bodies yeah it's the peak of intensity 
uh, as far as Mars, Saturn are concerned. And then, so that occurs March 31st. And then, uh, but the thing that's important here and how our doctrine, the way that we're approaching this might be slightly different than some modern interpretations is that <clears throat> when Mars gets like a few degrees past Saturn, it doesn't just like immediately fall out of that influence, but it's probably not going to be until Mars departs from the sign of Aquarius, the sign that Saturn is in, that the Mars-Saturn conjunction is fully over. So then that would be when Mars moves into Pisces around March, uh, it looks like March 12th or March 13th. May, May 12th, May 13th. May. Yeah. Sorry, May 12th. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I had an analogy of this when I was getting ready earlier today. I'm like, the Mars-Saturn conjunction is like you've climbed to the top of the mountain and you don't have to climb anymore because you're at the top, but you're not home yet either. You've got to still come down the other side. And if you've ever seen mountain climbers, for instance, go to the top of Mount Everest, getting down is, can be you know, pretty gnarly and hairy and you've still got to pay quite a lot of attention to come down the other side, but at least you're on the home stretch, if that makes sense. It's not that you're back into the safe normal zone, but you are coming out of rather than going into something. Right, definitely. Mm -hmm. That's perfect. And um, because there, there are a number of moving parts to this, um, mm. at the very least, we can reduce it to Mars, Saturn, Saturn, Pluto, and Jupiter um, being massively outgunned. And although um, we do get the Mars-Saturn conjunction uh, in excuse me, in Aquarius, um, all, all of April and almost half of May, the, the, the Yama Yoga. Uh, we also, the, the, the little um, silver lining is that we have, uh, we have those two planets out of sign with Jupiter. And so we don't have the two malefics sitting on top of Jupiter. Jupiter still has difficulty, uh, because it's in Capricorn and um, arguably because it's sharing the same sign with the south node um, but it's uh, it's a massive uh, it's a massive decrease in the difficulty that Jupiter is undergoing right and if Jupiter is the capacity to help or to counter difficulty that's really helpful right we, we like that that is um, that is at least there's something that can be done um on a on a on a, a general interpretive level when jupiter is no longer completely sidelined as it has been for a month and a half that's a really brilliant point austin and i think the three key dates for you know this helps Jupiter out a little bit, and then this helps it out a little bit more. The first one, of course, is Saturn moving out of Cap, which is going into Aquarius, which has happened about March 21st. I would say the second date is when Mars leaves Capricorn around March 30th, and then the third date is when the South Node leaves Capricorn around the 5th of May. Yeah, the uh, the <clears throat> the South the nodes moving into. Uh, moving into Gemini and Sagittarius is another big piece of un, how should we say untangling all of these malefic influences which have been piled up in one place for a lot of February and all of March or most of March, right? Because that's part of the acute difficulty uh, that we've recently been experiencing is that everything 
um, you know, every, all of the all of the do bads were in one place at the same time, right? Like a and concentration so, of all the do bads. They just got together and put all their crap in the same place. Yeah, and so even though Mars Saturn continue to pal around together, it's not Mars Saturn Pluto and the South Node all sitting on top of Jupiter. Yeah, and that is one of the aspects that goes exact at the very start of April. Um, and I had been hoping, and I sort of leaning towards her hoping that what would be happening there is um, Pluto sort of magnifying the positive qualities of Jupiter with that Jupiter-Pluto conjunction on that goes exact on April 4th. Although I'm a little concerned that um, the flip side of that may be Jupiter exacerbating the negative qualities of Pluto, um, especially in a mundane sense, because so much of the effects of everybody getting sick or so many people getting sick here at the end of March are going to be fully manifesting, you know, in the world in early April. Yeah, well, uh, I, I would say that between Jupiter and Pluto, it's kind of a wash in terms of plus minus. Um, <clears throat> But um, one thing that's very important to note about the first week of April is that it's the exact Mars-Saturn conjunction is over, um, but it's still very tight, and Mars will be applying to a square with Uranus. So we have Mars-Saturn square Uranus, which is very disruptive and malefic. So I would expect you know, a wave of worse news the first week of April. But then once Mars once Mars clears Uranus, then um, you know it's not that um, a, a rainbow appears and all problems are dissolved. But from an astrological point of view, uh, we're no longer in. We're actually we're we're on the way down the mountain. Uh, there's a de-intensification of uh, malefic configurations. Right after early April. Yeah, the mm -hmm. Mars square Uranus aspect is around April 7th, which is the same day as the full moon in Libra. Um, and that's just a few days after the exact Jupiter-Pluto conjunction. Um, that actually reminds me that I wanted to share this image um, from the Oh, this web is a – yeah. So this work. is from the Archetypal Explorer website, which um, I think we advertised for like very early on – when they were first getting started, but it's like a, a transit program, a, a program for uh, looking at your transits through the lens, especially of archetypal astrology, which is like Richard Tarnas's specific type of astrology or school of astrology that he has a number of students who follow. Um, anyways, Archetypal Explorer helps you look at like long-term outer planet transits, especially that are active in your chart using that approach. And uh, you can find out more information about it at archetypalexplorer.com. Anyway, the author of that program and of that website wrote a brilliant article titled uh, The COVID-19 Pandemic and the Jupiter-Saturn-Pluto Conjunction, which he published on March 17th, 2020. And he had some great graphics that he used that are kind of similar to the ones in his program, the astrology program that he has on that website. But this is one of them that just shows the long-term outer planet alignments and when they go exact and peak uh, through their exact aspects uh, put on a graph, as well as like what their duration is using specific orbs. So you can kind of get a sense of how this right now 
is the most intense part in terms of the overlap of some of those specific uh, things in terms of the Saturn-Pluto conjunction, the Mars conjunctions with Jupiter, Pluto, and Saturn at the very end of March, beginning of April, and then also the Jupiter-Pluto conjunction at the beginning of April. So it's all just happening in such quick succession that it's like overlapping with all these alignments. Yeah, that's a really it's a great visual to see the the peaks, if you like, because it is easier to internalize that immediately than to try and analyze the data. Uh, I know there's a lot with the Jupiter Pluto conjunction, and it's not all good. But one thing I keep thinking about as we get closest closer to it is all the relief packages and stimulus packages that the governments are attempting to roll out. They're not going to be perfect, uh, but you know, I know in Canada they've announced some initiatives. Australia's working on something. I'm not sure where the US is at, but I think there's a bill going through um, through the government processes now. And it's it's I just to think back to what you were saying, Austin, around Jupiter gets a little bit less pressured, you know, as we go forward from now. Basically, whether that helps the government offer something to people, there's just something about Jupiter and Capricorn to me that feels like some sort of money, like payment coming from the government because of tough times or, or hard situations. Yeah. 12 years ago, that's when we got a bailout package that was primarily for corporations. Mm. Um, and it looks like we're pretty much on track to do that again. Yeah. I, I remember that from Australia 12 years ago, it, too. It, that it's a, it's a little bit, it looks a little bit better this time, but um, there, there's, a, there's a lot for um, entities that for corporate entities that uh, bear a lot of responsibility for the fragility of the economy and who have not acted in the best interest of citizens for a long time. It's, you know, it's Jupiter and it's fall. The help, um, yes. a lot of the help will not go to the right people. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I remembered years, like 12 years ago, the Australian government, anyone who'd paid taxes the previous year just got a lump sum it was was very random to do with the economic situation then. Um, so, yeah, just another point on the Jupiter-Pluto piece. We're sort of sure. getting into early April here. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, well, that's yeah, also I mean, interesting the, because so much of that was the – so much of the um, 2008 financial crisis, astrologers often associated with Pluto moving into Capricorn and that major ingress of an outer planet into a new zodiacal sign. And it's interesting that this one is happening now towards the end of Pluto and Capricorn as we're getting towards the end of that of the transit of that outer planet through this sign. It is yeah, interesting. Saturn. Saturn was opposite Uranus then, which was a huge piece of that. And that um that pings the Saturn Uranus square that we're going to have all of next year and that we're getting a little bit of a taste of this uh, second quarter of 2020. Uh, you, Sorry, the, go the ahead, Saturn Kelly. Pluto conjunction? No, no. The, um, sa so the 2008 uh, crisis mm -hmm. was in part Pluto and Capricorn, but also very obviously uh, timed by the Saturn Uranus oppositions. Okay. And we are coming up on another angular alignment between Saturn and Uranus. We're coming up on the square. Um, by sign and by orb, uh, it started <coughs> It started as soon as Saturn entered Aquarius. 
And so we'll see a, the Saturn-Uranus square is one of the things we get a sneak peek of this second quarter of 2020, but it is some, it is going to be one of the major alignments for 2021 and 2022. So that, that Saturn-Uranus coming up cannot be ignored either as it relates to the last crash or the next couple of years. Well, I mean, we're already there. As soon as that ingress took place, like we're in Saturn square Uranus territory, and that square is is active. I think that's something like people, especially modern astrologers, might accidentally overlook because it doesn't go exact and it doesn't get into like a one degree orb. But if you if you don't, like it's going to get so close this year because Saturn's going to get up to two degrees of Aquarius before it turns retrograde in May, I believe, right? One something, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Okay. So they're very close. Yeah. But it, even just the fact that they're coming into alignment by sign now and they've moved into the signs that they're going to square in means that as soon as Saturn went in just a few days ago um, on the 21st of March, that we entered into uh, Saturn square uh, Uranus territory. Yes. Uh, and I think. Um what what's basically happening is Mars is going to just sort of act as a translator, if you like, or a carrying the light between Saturn and Uranus, that Saturn and Uranus are coming to square um, by sign, they're already doing it, and then Mars is going to come conjunct Uranus and a week later square Uranus, sorry, conjunct Saturn and then a week later square Uranus. So Mars is sort of helping activate or give us a preview, if you like, of the Saturn-Uranus um, square for next year. Absolutely. You know, like we said last month, this second quarter of 2020 is a preview of the next couple of the challenges of the next couple of years. I believe I used the Terminator analogy, um, getting to (laughs) no, getting a glimpse of a dark future timeline that we have just maybe just enough time to avoid. If we're lucky. I mean, I feel like there is, um, one of the positive things for me in looking at some of this uh, has been that we have the Mars-Saturn conjunction that's about to take place um, now, basically in the next few days at zero degrees of Aquarius. But then later this year in December, we have another conjunction at the same degree, which is the much talked about and very important and very rare conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn, which is going to take place at zero degrees of Aquarius which to me looks like much more optimistic and as a sort of um, healing or sort of reconciling and fixing some of the things that get broken during this time around this intense period of the Mars-Saturn conjunction, which is much more tied up in the Saturn-Pluto conjunction as well, which will have lessened and will be moving further away from by the time of December. So for me, that's much more optimistic in terms of the long term, even if in terms of the short term, we're in probably the worst of it right right now. Well, I think we're in the worst of the um, plague thing. Um, I, I don't think we're in the worst of the economic situation. Sure, sure. And relevant to that is actually, let me share one other graphic from the Archetypal Explorer guy which is a nice little Pluto-Saturn graphic that he created, which shows 
the Saturn-Pluto conjunction in the middle, which again occurred in January of 2020, but it also shows um, the conjunction when it gets close or closer by orb versus when it's moving further away. And there's kind of like this wave or this sort of graph where <clears throat> it starts getting pretty close uh, into effect way back around April, June, April, May, June of 2019. Then it sort of recedes for a little bit in the fall of 2019, and then eventually comes back and goes exact and peaks in early 2020. Then the Saturn-Pluto conjunction, because Saturn starts moving away from Pluto, starts getting mm -hmm. a bit weaker, but then it comes back because what happens later this year is that uh, Pluto, or sorry, Saturn retrogrades back into Capricorn in July of 2020, where it stays for the second half of the year and gets close enough or gets back into proximity uh, with Pluto, of a conjunction with Pluto by the fall. How close does it get? Do you yeah, remember, Kelly? Yeah, I was just Kelly? having a look. Um, three degrees, actually. It looks like Saturn comes back to 25 cap and Pluto will be at 22 cap at the time. And that's that September-October period where the graph has the peak again. Um, so they don't come back to exact um, manifestation at that time. All of our very well-educated listeners will know we'll be in the thick of the Mars retrograde in Aries at the time, which will be somewhat tying Saturn-Pluto together again um, at that time. So it is uh, the wave configuration. I really like that graph. It's very – it makes it makes it clear. Yeah, I really appreciate all the visuals that he uses on that website. So I def definitely recommend people checking out archetypalexplorer.com. Um, but yeah, so in terms of the Saturn-Pluto conjunction, though, uh, what I was going to show was just it's kind of nice in some ways that <clears throat> with Saturn having ingressed into Aquarius a few days ago, we at least get, even if they're re still relatively close by degree, they're only like six degrees apart. Um, and that's actually one of the really quick digression. That's been one of the nice things when random people have asked me what is going on astrologically right now. When they ask, especially if they don't have any background in astrology um, or a little background in astrology, one of the nice things about what's happening right now in the astrology of it is it's very easy to just point to the chart. Um, and say, look at this cluster of all of these planets that are actually formed in an alignment, roughly in a conjunction in the same spot in the sky right now. It's sort of that cliche, uh, cliche thing of all of the planets are basically lining up right now in the sky, and then some major event is happening on the Earth. Have you guys kind of felt that way in terms of like the the pileup of planets in Capricorn? Yeah, it's not um, the astrologies match to what's happening is not in any way mysterious. Right. Uh, well, it's, it's just funny because sometimes it's like other mundane alignments are harder to explain. Like There was the Uranus-Pluto square like a few years back that a lot of astrologers were talking about, or I think of like funny, wacky ones like astrologers in 1986 were talking about the like Grand alignment or whatever. The what, harmonic what was it convergence or something. Right. The har harmonic convergence. And there was like a bunch of planets in quintiles or something. Sextiles weird, like, or something like a Star of David or something. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that gets a little bit more tricky to attempt to explain to some, let's say, 
someone that doesn't know anything about astrology. But if you, I, I would you just to explain is like, it as astrologers make mistakes sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Not everybody is good at their job. But, oh, God. but this one, but this it's current visually, one's nice. Yeah, you kind of just put a chart together where you've got Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Pluto, Node. It's like there's a lot of unusual shit going on here. Does that make sense with, you know, yeah, it could be just, really like, th simple. Throw up this chart right here and it just shows you that there's a bunch of planetary bodies, especially the two largest planetary bodies um, in our solar system, which are besides the sun, which are Jupiter and Saturn. All in the same like spot in the sky right now, roughly speaking, from our our vantage point, and that looks pretty impressive just in and of itself. Totally. All right, so that was a digression that I actually meant to make, but what I was getting at there was just talking a little bit more about the long-term Saturn-Pluto cycle because one of the things that's nice about Saturn having moved into Aquarius is even though it's still within a few degrees of Pluto. So it's still like roughly an orb and will stay an orb for a while. Let's say giving it, let, let's say like a 10 degree orb or 15 degree orb like Tarnus does. Um, at least there's some separation by sign at this point, which gives a little bit of breathing room or a little bit of space between Saturn and Pluto uh, over the course of the next several months. But the downside or the problem in terms of the long term projections. Is that to whatever extent the Saturn Pluto conjunction is tied in with the current mundane or world events, either in terms of the coronavirus or in terms of the fallout and effect that that will have on the worldwide economy and everything related to it or everything else, um, Saturn will slow down and station retrograde in the middle of May at uh, one degree of Aquarius, almost two degrees of Aquarius. And then it will start moving backwards and move back into Capricorn uh, in July of 2020. So what's the, the exact date is? Like first or second. It's very early July. Okay. So Saturn goes back into Capricorn the first or second of July, and then it's back in a sign-based and starts moving even closer to a degree-based conjunction with Pluto again. Um, so Kelly, mm -hmm. you said it gets within how many degrees? Within three degrees. Yeah, Saturn will come, will retrograde back to 25 Cap, and Pluto will be at that time at 22 Capricorn. So they won't form the exact conjunction, but they will come within, yeah, you go, that's it. They'll be within three degrees of each other for a couple of months, September, October. Okay. And it looks like it's stations. Yes, which is, which is the time that Mars will be squaring them in retrograde. Yes. And so yeah. There that's are, the other like there worst are, sort of part, part of the two. year. Yeah, well, there are, I would say that there are there are two meaningful shitstorms in 2020, with one like pretty na uh, something medium nasty in between. We're in the middle of shitstorm one, and then the beginning of July when Saturn returns to Capricorn during. A Mercury retrograde during a pair of eclipses with Mars entering uh, Aries is our, you know, intermission poo pile. And then the finale is that uh, September, October, and November period. And so, you know, and we went over this as diplomatically as we could in the yearly, but, you know, this is, yeah. this is one out of 2.5. Um, very difficult sets of configurations in 2020.
Yeah, the year ahead forecast, and I think it's important because um, a lot of people watched our our March forecast or went back and watched it because they wanted to see what we were saying about everything that's going on now. <clears throat> and one of the things that's important is um, there's a lot of major outer planet alignments going on now, and we try to not repeat ourselves in every episode. So oftentimes, especially when we're doing the monthlies, we're doing it in the context of Assuming that you've already watched like the year ahead forecast, where we've outlined a lot of the major outer planet alignments um, to give a broad term or overall outlook. Um, so, and not even just that, but also on previous forecast episodes, when a major outer planet alignment goes exact, uh, we'll often talk about it a lot then, or when it first starts, like when an ingress first takes place. So if anybody wants to understand the full context of like everything we've said about some of the world events that are going on right now and the outer planet alignments that affect them, I'd actually recommend going back to starting in the December forecast episode and then working your way forward in order to be able to cover like most of the the major things that we've talked about, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We're speaking in context. And I, you know, I wrote a huge piece on the astrology of 2020 with a with a walkthrough that's a written reference as well as my piece on Jupiter and Capricorn. Um Kelly, I'm sure you did some yearly writing as well. Yeah, I haven't done as much as you, so I, I did see your detailed year ahead piece, and I would highly recommend that to people. Um, but I did mostly I've just done something on the the current piece, which I didn't call part one, but is is part one. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, and we even did uh, episode 140 of the Astrology Podcast, which we recorded a while ago now, was titled Saturn and Capricorn, Major Themes from 2017 through 2020. And that was mainly focusing on just Saturn and Capricorn unto itself, but we also touched on the Saturn-Pluto conjunction as being a major part of the tail end of that transit, uh, which we're just now experiencing. The so, tail end anyway, of the tail end of the Saturn through Capricorn transit, the Saturn Saturn Pluto conjunction. Oh, because okay. it didn't go exact until recently, but we we're having a broader discussion about just Saturn going through Capricorn starting in late 2017 in general. Yeah, well, you know, based on the um, <laughs> the time dilation so far this year, Saturn leaving Capricorn for good seems about. I don't know, one century away yeah. in right. December. 25 years from now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, um, but I think, I guess just to finish making that whole point that we started with, um, Saturn will station eventually in the fall uh, in Capricorn <clears throat> and then eventually start moving forward again and will eventually at the very end of the year leave. Uh, Capricorn when it moves into Aquarius on what was the exact date again, Kelly? Oh, uh, Saturn into Aquarius, I think it's about the 15th, 16th of December. Let me double check. Uh, 17th yeah, right. of December. I mean, I think I saw, and if Lisa's in the chat, correct me if I'm wrong, but I saw a tweet from Lisa in the last week or two, you know, sort of things flash by your eyes on, on social media, but I'm sure there was something, she was saying something along the lines of like, the best thing about 2020 is when it's over. Sure. Right. <laughs> not, not just like to be flippant, but literally not to because be flippant, yeah. 
because that nice alignment of Saturn going into Aquarius and Jupiter going into Aquarius at the same time and conjoining happens literally at almost the very end of the year. Yeah, and I wanted to make just a brief point too about um, how the air signs are known as humane signs and tend to speak a lot to what goes on to humans and, and even human bodies. And I was reminded of this in an article that Nina Griffin wrote recently about Saturn in Aquarius. And I think there is something to that with two conjunctions in Aquarius this year, the Mars-Saturn followed by the Jupiter-Saturn. There is a lot of focus on, on human stuff and Mars-Saturn is going to be more about human problems or problems for humans to deal with. And uh, the Jupiter-Saturn is going to bring perhaps a little bit of help or support, whether it is that we figure out how to do this new reality better, whether it is that there is more medicine or vaccines available. It's just an interesting juxtaposition between, yeah, as you were saying earlier, Chris, the Mars-Saturn in early Aquarius followed by Jupiter-Saturn. But just to make that point about the air signs and the, the human-humane connection. Yeah, I felt like we started seeing. I don't know if anyone agrees with me. I put this out and I wasn't sure how people would react to it because it's a somewhat controversial topic somehow in the astrological community. But um, over the past few weeks, as Saturn was getting to the later degrees, like the last few degrees of Capricorn, I felt like we started seeing some of the themes that will become more prominent as Saturn transits through Aquarius that we were. Anticipating as being Saturn and Aquarius themes starting to come up already and, and being like a preview of that. Um, and it was giving me a sense of going back to an episode that Austin and I did previously about the, the question about uh, sign cusps and whether there is any sort of transitional stage between signs. Like if the end of the sign, if you do start getting any of the qualities or a preview of the next sign, at all, or if that's a very firm demarcation and there's no crossover between the two. And astrologers seem to take really extreme positions about that. Um, for me, some of what we were seeing over the past few weeks kind of implied to me that there might be something to that or might, there might be more overlap than sometimes astrologers are used to thinking about. Did you guys feel that way at all? And you don't have to like say yes or no, but uh, I don't know. It was just something I observed. I I think that's really interesting, and I'm probably going to have a wide, more bandwidth for that during the next ingress regress. There's just been so much to keep track of. I didn't that that in particular didn't show up on my radar, not because it wasn't there, but because there's a lot on the radar. Sure, yeah. I mean, for me, and I guess I should define what I was seeing. Because uh, I tried to put it in a paragraph at one point, but it was something about the emphasis on social distancing and people like going into their homes and trying to stay away from each other, and suddenly having that feeling of isolation, which is a very Saturnian theme uh, and a very like an intensification of Saturn themes, like a Saturn Pluto thing. Mm. Uh, so the the social distancing coupled with people finding alternative ways. Through technology to connect by by leveraging new technologies, so lots of like classes and meetings suddenly moving online, and like like the New York Public Library opened up their online catalogs to everybody, and um, astrology groups like first starting with one in Washington, 
uh, the Seattle group, they made their meeting an online webinar, which was like free to attend for everyone. And and my group actually in Denver had to follow suit where suddenly for the first time ever, we switched our meeting, our local in-person meeting to an online webinar and lots of other instances like that where um, there was this weird uh, distinction between like humanity paradoxically being more isolated yet more connected than ever through leveraging new technologies. And that was something that I've been anticipating for Saturn and Aquarius for a few years now. And it was interesting to see some of that come into play over the past few weeks. That has been interesting. And I want to give a shout out to Sam Reynolds, who tweeted about how as all this was happening and all of a sudden our entire lives were shifting online, he mentioned that the birth chart of the World Wide Web, when the internet first became publicly and freely available, uh, that's having its Saturn return. It was sort of born in CERN in Switzerland, I think, or in Geneva in Switzerland, August 6, 91, about 4 p.m. in the afternoon, and it has the chart has Saturn at 2 Aquarius, um, mm. which was just really interesting that this is sort of the first Saturn return for that, and all of a sudden there's a massive spike in usage of the internet based on public schools offering classes online, for instance, people doing meetings by Zoom and other uh, video messaging, video meeting platforms rather than in person. Right. Because could we, um, I meant to like write down a list of all the different things because I can, I can hear some people immediately dismissing that and saying, well, lots of webinars were already offered or people have been doing, using the internet. It's been a big thing for a while now, but it's like, no, something happened over the course of the past couple of weeks where there was this huge intensification of that. And I don't think we're going to fully understand like the full implications of that until later on in the future, um, because right now we're dealing with the effect of it happening due to a crisis. But um, it seems like there was an uptick in uh, attempts to use and a push towards using the internet in innovative ways in order to connect people over the past few weeks, right? Yes. Oh, look, certainly. I'm, people but, have uh, been every edu every educational institution. That's new. Like that's a very large quantifiable. Yeah. Right. Or like all of my local gyms, for example, like Planet Fitness got shut down, but then they started yeah. offering free webinars to do like personal training from home or something like that. Oh yes. yeah. I mean, YouTube is full of. Um, so you know, I, I I I do the martial arts and I like the MMA. And so in that that world in YouTube, there are all these, okay, here's a, you can't go to your gym, right? Because it's very difficult to practice fighting people without people to fight um, or wrestle with. And so there's just been this, you know, there's been this huge shift of, okay, everybody, let's practice this footwork combination at home. Like there's all of this, you can do this at home stuff, um, which, you know, there, there was some of that before, but it's very different. A friend of mine teaches at a gym um, and they've never done an online thing before, and now they're doing it online, uh, which is great. It's um, nerd strong. They do workouts that are gamified and have um, like role playing game themes. Like it'll be like, you know, you lift up the weight, and it's like, okay, kill the goblins. We got to kill the goblins ten times. You know. Anyway, it's oh my god, uh, I love great. it. It's, it's nerd central. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's and yeah, it's the nerd strong thing. I think it's on I Twitch. Love it. But I they, nice. my friend had been trying to convince people or convince the owners of the gym to do it online for a while, but it just got online for the first for the first time. So it's a an example of that wouldn't have happened or would have happened on a much delayed timeline um if there wasn't this crisis push. And then you know, education has been slowly moving more online, but now a lot of programs are just on online to avoid being completely, you know, uh, decimated. Um, and so there, I, I, I don't think it's as subtle as you were making it out to be. There's been a huge push and a lot of people are, are discovering. I know also people who are like, yeah, I've been trying to convince work that I can be just as productive yes. from home for like three years. And now I get to. Right. And now suddenly out, out of necessity, it's everyone's switching to that and switching to working from home. Um, I'm seeing some great comments from different people in our chat because we always have we have a live audience who's joining us uh, for the recording of this episode today of patrons. So thanks everybody who's joining us. Uh, Wendy Hill says uh, this includes telehealth getting a huge push forward. So that's a really important one, like doctors seeing patients and sometimes like di- diagnosing things like the coronavirus. Um, from home. Uh, Brian Stuppy says psychotherapy over Zoom has exploded. So that's a really good one and a good point. Uh, Christina Holmes says her yoga studio is a live streaming, has live streaming or all live streaming classes now. Um, yeah. Yeah. Did you have other good ones, Kelly? I mean, I'm just, I, I agree with what Austin's saying that yes, I appreciate people might try to take play devil's advocate here, but. Uh, there are so many practitioners who used to meet people in person that to avoid complete financial ruin are trying to pivot and see what they can offer online via video conference. And I I know personally, because I work online on Zoom all the time, the first Monday where it was like the first level of like maybe California had gone to shelter in place, it was like the first stage where more countries were like, okay, we have to do this. The class, I, I normally teach a live class on Monday nights and it I record to the Zoom cloud. Normally it takes about an hour and a half for the recording to process and it's available and then we send it out to the students. It took two and a half days for that recording to process due to demand on the Zoom servers. And that was a real clue to me that, you know, that was the, that might have been the first Monday, you know, where Zoom in the US said public schools could use Zoom. Mm. Um, and so there has been a massive, like, so from the, the experiential end, if you were already doing a lot of stuff online, you've seen that some of your services have had these temporary glitches as they've tried to manage the huge influx. Now, I taught my class last weekend, my mentoring group, and the recording processed as quickly as normal. So I suspect Zoom has added extra service space or extra capacity to cope with this. But I agree that it is it probably wouldn't have happened out of necessity and it's happening as fast as possible. And somebody in the chat does talk about or mentioned, and I'm very passionate about amplifying this point about this is preparation for the Jupiter-Saturn air cycle, which is much more about mobility and freedom to move and not being locked into the same place. And so thinking sequentially, Mars-Saturn is activating and preparation and stirring up. Mars-Saturn is almost showing us what's broken. And then Jupiter-Saturn is like, this is how it's going to look if we do it in the new way. And this is a taste of that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's something about this crisis right now with the Mars-Saturn conjunction that's about to happen in Aquarius and forcing 
people to use technology through necessity and through having no other choice in order to connect, but especially later this year when we have that conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn in Aquarius, it's probably going to lead to the birth of something new or some new way of connecting or new innovation and, and the next level in that that will set like a new like epoch-defining starting point that we may not even be able to fully anticipate at this point, but will nonetheless clearly come out of the challenges that people are experiencing and will have to start wrestling with now. So even things like probably like virtual reality, I can think mm -hmm. of as being one of the technologies that would probably get accelerated and become even more of a necessity um, and have more emphasis or more work put into it uh, as a result of things that are going on right now. Yeah, I imagine that'll be up and running and ready for Saturn, Neptune, and Pisces starting in 2023. I mean, it's mm -hmm. around now, but, you know, yeah, I won't get into that, but uh, I, that's when I would expect virtual reality to become a part of people's lives rather than something cool you can do. Mm. Sure. Yeah. There's so much. I mean, um, somebody's making a comment here, and I want, I want to read it out to honor it. Disabled communities have had their requests for work from home accommodations large, largely denied for many years, and all of a sudden, workplaces and universities are open to accommodations when the health of abled people is at risk. And I had a client who uh, is um, differently abled themselves and works on government portfolios for that in Australia talk about how all of a sudden it's it's okay to get what they need. Um, so they're not saying that it's happened in the right way, but there is that advancement of honoring different ways of working, I guess. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So well, so yeah. where, where are we where are we at? Should we Well, so let let me let me suggest a, a topic. Um please. So one of the one of April's chief features is that Venus is in Gemini virtually the entire time. And one of Mars's chief features was that Venus was in Taurus um, almost the entire time. And even though there was this, uh, oh, this hyper concentration of malefics at the end of Capricorn, we still had Venus, the other, uh, the other benefic, um, in a good place for a lot of March, and certainly not in a place where it could undo, um, you know, the work of Mars, Saturn, Pluto, South Node, et cetera, et cetera. But there are these, there are these little, um, you know, these little uh, blooms and nice moments um, that I think were really visible in the midst of a difficult time that um, I would credit to Venus and Taurus. You know, a lot of people reaching out to friends and family and, you know, um, thinking about how much they value the people in their lives once they're threatened. You've also seen so many people talk about, you know, trying to do something productive and fun with their, um, you know, with their mandatory time at home. One thing I think I was listening to a podcast and one of the people was like, yeah, you know, they were like, oh, how are you doing um, with all this? And they were like, well, I've been spending a lot of time with my kids and I never get to see my kids. And we've been watching movies that I always wanted to yeah. show them. There've been these little, you know, copper, copper linings, um, that Venus has brought, um, during this, um, this P you know, this, this spike of difficulty. 
Um, but Venus is going into Gemini for most of April. And so that's, that's an important part of the background. We have Mars, Saturn, and Aquarius for all of April, and then we have Venus and Gemini in April. And it's not just any Venus and Gemini, right? This is, is going to be four months of Venus and Gemini with uh, yes. six-ish weeks of retrograde beginning in mid-May. All right. So, so let me let's let's do that. Let's transition into just doing and let's crank out the astrology of April now that we've talked about all of the the elephant in the room and talked about all the major long-term planetary transits. <clears throat> so here's the major alignments just really quickly and I'm going to show the graphic from our planetary alignments calendar for April. So Venus ingresses into Gemini on the 3rd of April. Then the Jupiter-Pluto conjunction goes exact on the 4th of April. Then there's a full moon in Libra on the 7th. Uh, Mercury ingresses into Aries on the 11th. The Sun ingresses into Taurus on the 19th, as it does around that time every year. There's a new moon in Taurus on the 22nd. Pluto stations retrograde in Capricorn on the 25th. And Mercury moves into Taurus on the 27th. Uh, does that sound like most of the major major alignments to you, Austin? Yeah, I mean, there's the um, yeah. The, I mean, the the Mars Uranus is um, up there, um, but yeah, that that's a good overview. When do you know what day that goes exact? I'll pull that up on the chart right now. But do you happen to I know? I think it Kelly said it was. I think Kelly said it was the seventh. That sounds about right to me. Okay. Let me see. The 7th so, of, of April. Oh, which is the full moon. Oh, yeah, that's a big day. Great. All right. So our first lunation of the month is the, the full <laughs> Sorry, moon. Sorry, that's a big day. <laughs> the full moon at 18 yeah. degrees of Libra. Uh, so the sun will be at 18 Libra, or the moon will be at 18 Libra uh, at its fullest, and the sun will be at 18 Aries. And Mars on the same day will be at 5 degrees of Aquarius, squaring Uranus very, very closely, pretty much exactly at five degrees of Taurus. Yes. Brilliant. All right. So not only do we have that's that's all hap happening in such quick succession. It's like the Mars Saturn conjunction is just a few days earlier. Those two planets are still only four degrees apart. Then Mars squares Uranus and we have a full moon happening at the same time and the sense of like culmination and uh, yeah, have uh, everything coming to light at that time. It uh, that happens normally, just during a, nor a normal full moon. It does have a dramatic quality. The Mars square Uranus, of course, has a, a kind of an explosive shock, surprise. You know, um, the rumblings underneath the surface. I'm also intrigued. On that same day. Mercury will make a sextile to the Jupiter-Pluto conjunction, which is just starting to pull apart. And I'm interested to see if, if there is maybe information or it's like something about the Jupiter-Pluto conjunction starts to disseminate or disperse with that Mercury activation. Right. Um, what are some good keywords for a Mercury or just a Mars square Uranus? Just like really quickly to rattle some off. Um, freaking out. <laughs> um, rebellious, restless, uh, unexpected turns, the, the shock or the surprise, I guess. Yeah, shock, surprise, 
explosion. Um, yeah, they're they're both uh, they're they're both planets that give us uh, sudden, uh, yes. very uh, uh, suddenness things that are too quick to um, react to, shocking. Yeah, which uh, you know, I, I was. I was ten right. percent joking with freakout. It, it Mars Saturn, Mars Uranus bring uh, will uh, often brings the kinds of things that um, uh, that elicit a freakout reaction, however temporary. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely this is... not. This is definitely not a full moon where um, everyone's like, oh, you know, everything's okay. Um, that's that's not what this full moon is. You know, we talked about the Mars Saturn pulling apart. Um, and it does that throughout April, but I wouldn't look for a ratcheting down of difficulty until, you know, well after this full moon. Yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. we all know, know just practically speaking that everything is culminating at this point in terms of all of the, um, thousands of people that have been infected around the world and them hitting critical period, a critical period over the course of the next few weeks where, um, we don't know what those numbers will actually look like, but obviously a lot of people will be passing away around that time. And the full moon in and of itself makes me think of like those anecdotes that you always hear from time to time about like people that work at hospitals saying that full moons are when they tend to see the most people showing up or the most emergencies coming in. And I don't know if that's ever been like actually statistically proven. And I've never worked at a hospital myself, but I think we've all heard things like that, right? Yeah, I actually had a, a professor in college who was a professor of philosophy um, who owned a nightclub, and he investigated the full moon effect on um, police calls and things like that for many months in a row and found it uh, statistically very, um, very significant, which is interesting. He wasn't into astrology at all. He was just a, you know insightful, critical thinker. Sure. Yeah, and anecdotally, many, many years ago, like I was in my early 20s, um, my boyfriend at the time worked in the finance industry in, on a stock market trading floor. And they had a joke when people would call up, like wanting to put trades on, and they're like, this is nuts. These trade, what are these people doing? And they'd all just, you know, all the people on the trading floor would just look at each other and go, is there a full moon happening? So even though you know, they weren't really into astrology in any way, shape or form. They had a sense that the full moon was certainly going to stir up. It's like an agitating influence. You know, it raises, I mean, I think in nature, it raises sap levels in, in trees and things like that as well. So it really just amplifies. And I think that agitation, uh, like, you know, the Mars, the Uranus, it's, it's disturbing. It's things are not, it, it's angsty. It's not comfortable. It's unsettled. It's unpredictable. Sure. Yeah, it's a high. Yeah, it's like it's the, both high energy and high volatility. Yeah, I mean the the full moon the, itself would bring things to culmination just in and of itself. I guess that was the point that I was making. But then we have to layer in that it's coinciding with that Mars Uranus square at the same time, and the unexpected disruptions and the um, tendencies that that has on top of the Mars Saturn conjunction, which is still in effect, and the Jupiter Pluto conjunction that's happening pretty much simultaneously. Also note that Venus is between aspects from Saturn to aspect with Mars. So the social component Venus 
Uh, the it, Venus is moving from trine to Saturn to trine with Mars. And, you know, usually we like trines, but that that traps Venus between uh, Saturn and Mars in terms of what to communicate and feel, et cetera, et cetera. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's um, you know, it, the, this is um, <sighs> like there will, uh, th- th- there is both the what concrete, you know, um, likely uh, ungood news will be delivered at this time. Um, whether about plague statistics or economic outlooks or both. Uh, and then there is also the, uh, how should we say, the stage this sets for uh, human reaction uh, to what is happening, which is also very, uh, we, uh, uh, the stage that is set is for a very volatile response as well, which is not great. This is, I mean, the nice thing though is this is sort of the last, astrologically speaking, this is um, a little bit of the last, um, oh God, configuration <laughs> for yes. at least a, for at least a while. Um, you know, the the moon's conjunction to Saturn and Mars a week later is unpleasant, but it's just one day. Yeah. Um, whereas full moon full moons happen on one day, but. Um, th- they lead events to them, and then, uh, to a certain degree, they they speak strongly about the events of the next fortnight. Sure, definitely. Um, and this is <clears throat> this full moon is the culmination, of course, of the monthly cycle that began with the uh, sun moon conjunction, the new moon uh, on the twenty fourth of March, which was in early Aries. So we have that culmination at the full moon in Libra, of course, two weeks later. And then um, we kind of move out, or what, do we want to start moving away from the first week and into the second week or third week of April? Yeah, let's continue on. Yeah, it's worth mentioning Mercury finally yeah. leaving Pisces on yeah, April a, 11th. That's a great point. So Mercury, because I was completely overlooking that, because that actually opens the month. We open April with the Mercury-Neptune conjunction in Pisces, which is interesting because that's also the end finally of Mercury ending its shadow period. So it returns back to, I think that's the degree it's stationed retrograde at, right? Like 16? It's very close to it, Yeah. I'm gonna double check. Okay, um, so you're gonna double check. Twelve. Uh, yeah, it's, it'll be a little past. Twelve. It. Okay. Yeah. So we've just <clears throat> just gotten out of the shadow period at the very end of March. It looks like March 29th. It gets back to 12 degrees of Pisces, but then a few days later, on looks like April 3rd, we have the exact Mercury Neptune conjunction. So the conjunction that like almost happened back when Mercury stationed retrograde at 12 Pisces before conjoining Neptune finally happens at this point in early April, and then Mercury cruises through the rest of Pisces over the course of the next week before ingressing into Aries, it looks like on April 10th. Yeah, I've got April 11th Eastern time, but you know, overnight on the 10th to the 11th. Got it. Okay. So that's another maybe important layering in terms of what we were looking at in that first week of April is the tail end of like a Mercury Neptune conjunction. Yeah, it's I mean it's it's a mess. The first week of April is a mess. Yeah. Right? We've and that's got a Mars, technical Uranus. term in all the books. <laughs> yeah. I mean it is. Um that's what it'll look like. 
Um, fortunately, that mess does not continue throughout April. Thank goodness. And, you know, one thing about Mercury-Neptune, um, <clears throat> especially in Pisces, but in general, um, is that Neptune, I, I would say more than any other planet, um, uh, contradicts or <clears throat> sometimes ruins, but um, makes uh, it, it messes with Mercury's ability to be very clear and, you know, and fact-based and logic-based and also to remember things and to do context. Mercury, Neptune, is it's really hard on, on, Merc on most of Mercury's um, clear thinking communication functions. Um, <laughs> Kate and I, I think Kate uh, suggested this, started calling it a goldfish yoga. Um, you know, like a goldfish <laughs> only sees what's right in front of it. Um, and that, yeah. you know, that that's that's been an issue for this whole Mercury Neptune co-presence is not not having proper context in threat assessment. Um, you know, like back when Mercury first entered Pisces, like this is not, you know, this isn't going to be a big deal. Um, possible overreactions in the middle of it, you know, all this back and forth. Like we've been, we've had goldfish yoga for most of this time. Um, and so it's one, it's really nice to get Mercury uh, in a different sign than Neptune because Mercury Neptune is just, it's just not great for clarity. Not at all. Yeah. And especially Mercury just does not like being in Pisces from a technical doing Mercury yeah, things it's, perspective. It's like a combination of wet, messy wetness. I was going to say wetty messiness or something, which yeah, is a Mercury um, Pisces point. Yeah, yes. the um, yeah Mercury and Pisces is by itself afflicted, and yeah. uh, we're not afflicted, but um, it it has uh, essential dignity problems. And I don't know, maybe this would be more clear in retrospect, but I, I, I I'm sure you both noticed that Mercury and Pisces is a planet in its fall, ruled by Jupiter, which is also a planet in its fall. Yeah, mm, which um, you know that can't be good. No, and it's very different. I was reflecting on this, actually. Um, you know, we had Mercury and Pisces last year. We had that long Mercury retro and Pisces conjunct Neptune in 2019, March 2019, but it was ruled by Jupiter and Sag. And that was very yep. different in terms of what we're dealing with now because we've already talked about how restricted and minimized um, Jupiter has been. And there's lots of comments in the chat, and I know we've all experienced it, Leaders in all countries have been giving these. Australia has just had a debate. Their prime minister has issued numerous statements about what constitutes a safe COVID nineteen appropriate haircut. Are haircuts essential services? And if so, thirty minutes is that enough time? This was literally the debate in Australia in the last few days. That so much press and attention has just gone to something that's really quite inane and, and not the, the core story, but it's an example of getting lost in the muck, which is Mercury, Pisces, Neptune. Uh, okay, okay yeah. sorry, I just and had I, a, and a breakthrough like... signification real quick, Chris. So Mercury's travel, has Mercury been horribly afflicted? Yes. Horribly How many people's afflicted. travel plans got just gone? 
right, how many emails on. have people who like I had booked? I've, I've got you know, you guys, everyone knows I travel a lot, so I always have flights queued up that I've paid, and I think I've got an email mm-hmm. from Expedia every four or five days updating me on why they have call delays and can people please not call unless they're traveling. First, they said if you're traveling in the next seven days, and then they've said if you're not traveling in the next three days, please don't contact us. We can't handle the volume. Um, so travel, shipping, distribution, freight, logistics, yep. all of these Mercury things, which is why I'm so excited for Mercury to get into Aries. And yes. one of the first things Mercury does, first of all, he's going to dry out. So we lose the, the negative fall and detriment, the double whammy combo that Mercury has. Before he's, you move into that, yeah. I'd like to say something a little bit oh, about the it. Mercury retrograde first. Um, so originally I was connect- collecting Mercury retrograde stories because I actually got a few really good ones as examples from this. Um, but it's hard because I was going to actually say them on this episode, but it almost seems so trivial now given everything that's going on. Um, so I don't want to bore people with going into those in detail, but I will just mention the highlights really quickly. One was an example from another astrologer, uh, Bear River, who bought a, a car during the course of the, the Mercury retrograde and tried to pick out even the best electional chart he could find you know, in short term because he had to buy a car at that time. And then he drove away with the car, and then it was like a few days or a week or something later, the car company wrote him a letter saying that they were canceling the deal and they wanted the car back for some bizarre reasons. And he literally had to re- return the car uh, later during the Mercury retrograde. Wow. Um, and another person I know um, had Mercury go retrograde in her fifth whole sign house and had a, uh, again, remember that it was conjunct Neptune and had a pregnancy scare. Because her period was like extremely late, and eventually she ended up having her period like seventeen days late. Uh, later, towards when Mercury s- started wrapping up the retrograde cycle and basically stationed direct, and it turned out that she wasn't pregnant. Um, and just a, I have a bunch of stories like that, so I'm not going to tell them all because it seems trivial at this point. Um, to me, it seemed like from a mundane perspective. That so much of the Mercury retrograde was like a lot of some of the Western governments, especially in the US, um, not taking what was happening with the virus seriously or issuing false statements and saying it wasn't a big deal or like to not take it seriously. And then so much of that they had to start walking back and saying the opposite of once Mercury stationed direct and it started getting serious and it was clear that people were going to die and they needed to like lock down the situation. But that seemed like a lot of the Mercury retrograde ultimately conjunct Neptune ended up coinciding with from a, a larger scale perspective. Yes. Do you do you feel that way? Certain, yes, cer- yes. Certainly, the confusion surrounding the thing that'll go down in the history books will be the the um, the most remembered part. The like, I hurt my mis- finger. Mis- <laughs> <laughs> Probably I mean, won't go down in the in the, in the, in the history, history books. books. The misinformation, you mean? Yeah, misinformation, all just the the entire mercurial clusterfuck. Yeah, sure. The, the people not getting tests, tests, um, there being issues with some of the tests, just all of it. You know, there's, yeah, there's that, been that a lot of confusion. Being, that's one of the issues in terms of it also having a major impact on people is if the government or parts of the government, wings of the government, aren't taking it seriously, that not as many tests are produced and ready. When it became necessary to start testing everybody, 
so that it then has like a real tangible impact. Um, there's a lot of like interesting, you know, over the years as astrologers, you can collect those different interesting Mercury retrograde stories when it affects like large groups of people. Like I remember one of them from the last administration, just to balance things out, was like when the Obama administration launched the healthcare website, like I think the day Mercury stationed retrograde, mm, and it was just true. like a it was just a complete disaster. And over the next few weeks, they had to do all these things to attempt to like fix it and to like fix the website and get it on track and everything else. And then eventually by the time Mercury stationed direct and started moving forward again, they were able to get things working properly eventually. But it was this whole sort of fiasco at the time. Um, and that's sort of what this recent retrograde has been like, it seems like, in, in many ways. Absolutely. And uh, Austin, when you were having your uh, travel like breakthrough, I'm like, of course. Yeah. Oh, yeah, travel. <laughs> oh, yeah, travel. Uh, but also, you know, where a lot of this started in the beginning, um, cruise ships, like literally people traveling on the water. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you remember? I don't like it was sort of earlier the in the Diamond piece. Princess, the Diamond Princess, the Princess Cruises, um, and we, it's a little more current because, of course, they keep it on the Australian press, and they just had a, a ship with nearly three thousand people dock in Australia in the last week. Uh, so it's yeah, it it's and my my husband has a really classic Mercury retro problem where he was driving home from our trip in Spain over two days. And I always say that's because he's Canadian and Canadians think a road trip is 24 hours of driving or something insanely long. But he got, he was about four hours, five hours from home. He was in France and his car broke down and he had to stay overnight because it was a Sunday and in the wilds of France, not of the wilds, but, you know, outside the major cities, there was no mechanics available got the car to a service station and made his way his own way home by train and we still don't have his car back it's you know at one point it was going to be brought uh, fixed in France and then brought back to Belgium and then it was like no we're not going to do that we're going to bring it back to Belgium and then fix it here but that'll be a 10 day hold at the border and then all the borders closed because of coronavirus so his car we're not actually quite sure where it is at the moment and it's a very minor it's not you know we're both working from home we don't need it but it's just a classic um Mercury retro travel car sort of situation. And I can see so yeah, many absolutely. stories in the chat about it. Um, so I think it was definitely worth mentioning, Chris. And we really have to wait until Mercury gets into Aries to kind of move out of that. Mercury's been in Pisces since early February. So, you know, it's, it's a mm -hmm. long time. Yeah, that's a huge, it's another one of those things like when you're taking into account the entire sign based transit, it becomes a much more extended period sometimes. Um, so, anyways, I just wanted to slip that in, but thanks for moving us on. So, let's continue with where you're going with that originally, Kelly, which was Mercury going into Aries. Oh, yeah. And just the drying out. So, the improvement from the dignity perspective, I think, is good. And as soon as Mercury moves into Aries, he's going to make a sextile to Saturn in Aquarius. And it's not that that's a defining aspect of the month, but I do think it's interesting to see what type of facts or data or maybe scientifically um, approved information starts to get disseminated over that weekend and, and beyond that point. Well, and Mercury in Aries is very, uh, very interested in actionable information. Yeah. 
very it's very tactical it's very like so what do we do yeah well and and the necessity to act quickly and decisively and especially with mercury no longer being co-present with neptune any um <clears throat> thing that has been obscuring the picture suddenly falling away and like the reality of the situation being much clearer uh, and much more stark yeah, I like the actionable um, info point that you mentioned, Austin, because it does feel like here are the, we will get a clearer sense of steps and timelines once Mercury shifts signs. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's an improvement, and it's uh, it's interesting also because it connects to uh, Venus, right? Because Mercury is the ruler of of Gemini, and Venus is in Gemini in April and in May. And in June and in July, <laughs> right? And so we were sitting around the other day. Uh, and so part of, you know, so part of that is, oh, it's uh, Venus in Gemini the whole time, right? Direct sometimes, retrograde others. But it, because it's in Gemini, right? And Gemini is very mobile, right? It's ruled by Mercury. And so that means as Mercury does different things, it's going to very strongly affect what Venus is doing. And so Kate and I were sitting around the other day and she was like, oh, so uh, everybody's on the internet right now and people are kind of enjoying it and Venus is in Taurus. What happens when everyone's stuck on the internet together for six weeks? And I was like, oh, Venus retrograde in Gemini happens. Right. Everybody yeah. suddenly gets back together, you mean? Or what, what happens no, when everybody no, gets back I, together at I the mean, end of that? No, I mean, everybody gets cabin fever and the cabin is the internet for um, quite some time. Okay. for You mean in the immediate right. future over the next few weeks before it stations retrograde? That's the leading into, that's the leading into the retrograde. Got it. You know, See, I was the, thinking um, of what happens when everybody gets out of quarantine and then suddenly it's a yep. Venus retrograde and- uh, I keep seeing this phrase mentioned about like coronials, which is the idea of like all of the babies that are going to be born in like nine months after both a this period of everybody being like quarantined with their significant others for like several weeks, um, but also perhaps what happens in a few weeks from now when everybody gets out and begins being able to socialize again on some level. Right. Yeah, I think that the Venus retrograde will time that shift. Sure. But um yeah. So we're building into that through April because the retro isn't mm -hmm. till mid-May itself. So that'll be right. we will talk but, a lot more about Venus retro in next month's episode, but this is the prep month, but, I guess. Yeah, well, and Venus goes into the shadow early in the month. So we're very early, by back the, the ninth or the tenth, yeah. Yeah, and so note that um, with Venus in the shadow of the retrograde, meaning degrees that it's destined to return to uh, early in the month, it does that. Um, it does that between aspects from Saturn to Mars, right? And that um, Mars actually stays a little bit of, of v ahead of Venus for quite some time because Venus is slowing down, and yes. so we keep. Venus between Saturn and Mars, which is literally like, you know, the enclosure by quarantine, right? Uh, for pretty much the whole time, actually, the entire month. Now that I'm it's looking gonna, at it, that'll be the whole time Mars is in Aquarius. Yeah, 
because Venus Venus never completes that aspect. No. Oh, yeah, you're right. That's a really good. That's really great. Because enclosure. I mean, it's not great for Venus, but it's a great example of a technical astrological thing. No, you're right. I mean, that's well, literally I- like being on the internet because you're not allowed outside. Yeah. Or not allowed to, you know, be don't touch more anybody. Than in your yard don't touch them outside. by video. Yeah. yeah. Right. And Venus is constrained between between the rays of the two malefics, and that's the original. That's a really good transition, almost a translation of that original Greek term for that that concept of the the medieval right. astrologers called besiegement, which the Hellenistic astrologers called enclosure. But quarantine is like another good. That'd be a good like translation of that. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. Um, so that's really interesting because that's one of the <clears throat> when Lisa Scheim and I were doing the elections for the year ahead, we actually had a really hard time finding elections for this month. Um, and I don't know if I want to transition into in- introducing that chart yet, but um, this month and next month, we remember just like having a hard time finding good charts for in general and just having to grasp for whatever the best thing was that we could find. But one of the things that we did note was that that uh, Venus-Mars trine, which is forming and is so close all month, never goes exact because Venus slows down enough that it, it can't fully catch up to Mars, even though it normally would at its normal speed. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's a rough month for elections for sure. The one saving grace I thought, and I didn't, I don't do a lot of electional work these days. I was like, well, the sun isn't overcome by a square from Saturn while it's in Aries. Yeah, agree. Which we haven't had for a couple of years. I mean, the sun is kind of what there is to work with uh, in a lot of April. Um, And, you know, the moon, the moon's doing the rounds, but it's the one planet that is consistently in good dignity and isn't um isn't beaten up uh by malefics which is a refreshing change and we haven't had that version of the sun in aries for a couple of years oh it's been yeah it's been it's been some time i think three centuries experientially (laughs) it it is yeah I'm just pulling up, and I might as well just give the electional chart for this month. You should, yeah. We're since we're talking about it. about it, and so I don't forget it. <clears throat> so this is the best we could come up with. And honestly, I'm not going to lie; this is not a great chart. But we were just grasping for anything. And one of the things I distinctly remember focusing on when Lisa and I picked out like one good chart for each of the next twelve months was seeing that <clears throat> that trine between. Venus and Mars and trying to focus on it a little bit. And there's this one sort of time frame where Mercury gets into the action and sextiles both Mercury and Venus uh, while those two are relatively closely trined. <clears throat> and honestly, that's more of almost like a modern electional thing to look for, which is just like nice soft aspects or an aspect pattern between three planets like that. But that was kind of what I was left to use to try to find anything for a good electional chart this month. Oh, I love that you uh, picked that because what I was doing my information for my monthly subscribers, I'm like, so there's a couple of fun aspects on April 18, and that's as they're like, this is the best of the month kind of thing. Those okay. sextiles, yeah, 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 exactly. So <clears throat> the chart is set for April 18th. 
at around 8:45 a.m. with about middle mid mid degrees of Gemini rising, so let's say around 15 degrees or so. Uh, Venus is in Gemini, uh, conjunct the ascendant and in the first whole sign house. Uh, the ruler of the ascendant is Mercury, which is in Aries at 12 degrees in the 11th whole sign house. It's overcome by a superior sign base square from Jupiter in a day chart, which is somewhat helpful or affirming. Uh, Mercury is applying to a sextile with its uh, it's actually technically separating from a sextile with Venus, and it's applying to a sextile with its domicile, domicile lord Mars with reception. <clears throat> uh, the moon is in Pisces in the 10th whole sign house. It's applying to a square with Venus in this chart. So that's like the best that we could get is a square with Venus. At least it's an aversion to Mars and Saturn. It also has a very wide sign-based but applying sextile with Jupiter uh, with reception since it's in Pisces. And I think that's about it. Mars and Saturn are both in the ninth house, so don't use this for ninth house type things, uh, especially due to Mars being there in a day chart. Uh, yeah, but that, otherwise, this is the electional chart that we came up with. So, what were you recommending it for, Kelly? Um, so, in the subscription, I just kind of highlight the different aspects and this pair of sextiles, um, the Mercury Venus, Mercury Mars, it just looked a little bit lighter. Like, I, I always try to pick the aspects that I think look the funnest or the lightest or the best that month, as well as the aspects that I think are the most difficult. And in April, there are a lot of choices for the most difficult aspect, but there were very few options for what are the kind of good, you know, happy, playful aspects. So they were the ones I picked just because I have a little bias to the Mercury Venus sextile. I think it's a really fun, there's an artistic, creative, but also connected, collaborative piece. And I liked the, the Mars energy coming in. I hadn't factored in. I just mentally blanked on the fact that the moon was involved in that as well. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, I think in the best case scenario, there is some level of increase of interaction that happens around then, um, but it could just be people are figuring out how to have parties on Zoom as well, or FaceTime or GoToMeeting or WhatsApp as well. Right. Yeah. Um, definitely. So anyway, that's the electional chart for the month. Uh, we're going to have our electional episode where we have a few other charts for April. Um, in out sometime in the next few days for patrons. I think Lisa might be recording that one on her own because I think I'm going to collapse after recording this episode. But you can tune in for that uh, if you're a patron of the Astrology Podcast. And um, the electional charts are, I don't want to say they're not better in May, but there's definitely an improvement once we get to June, I believe, is when the electional charts actually start seriously improving again eventually. But it's interesting how that ended up coinciding with everything because I don't think we were thinking about it with that focus when we were having tr trouble finding charts in uh, this part of the year in April specifically. Right. Why is it not a good time to to plan things? Right. Right. Yeah. Like, why can I not find any well, good electional charts for well, during this time? And that, period? That's what I was kind of trying to say at the beginning is you can know that like, oh, if I'm going to, you know, plan a big thing and I want a really good chart, um, not then. And you can be correct and not then, even though you had no idea that why it would not be a great time. Right. Yeah. 
you can get you can get the right course of action even if you don't know why it's like a blob on the radar and you're like i don't know what that is but i don't want to be there <laughs> i don't want to anchor anything into that definitely all right um so back to the forecast we've covered like mercury's ingress in on the 11th of april uh, the sun's ingress into Taurus. We're now getting into the second lunation of the month, I believe, which is the new moon in Taurus on the 22nd, right? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Second lunation of the month. <clears throat> Both lunations ruled by Venus this month. Venus is in Gemini all month. First lunation has the full moon in Libra ruled by Venus, ruled by Mercury in Pisces. Second lunation in Taurus ruled by Venus, um, Venus in Gemini, but Mercury's in Aries at that point. So there's sort of a different tone when you get into the rulerships, but we've, it's just an interesting sort of weird thing that both the lunations are Venus ruled this month. Yeah, that is interesting. Um, so this- Oh, and it's conjunct Uranus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, remember talking about this on the yearly? Do you remember yeah. what we said, Austin? No, I remember. I just remember this. <laughs> it would be <laughs> interesting to look back. So you know what's funny, right? So the this Wait, lunation you, Kelly, is. Is there something specific? Or no? Okay. No, I just wondered. You know, Austin remembers that we highlighted it. I'm like, what do we say? Because mm -hmm. I I didn't remember at all. Because okay. I mean, it's it's very significant looking, right? It's a yeah. sun and moon conjunct Uranus and also square Saturn but moving right. from Saturn to Uranus. So this looks like people so ready to leave quarantine, right? Yeah. Like literally moving away from Saturn, right? Yes. That, um, um, uh, so that mandatory solitude or, you know, whatever limited socialness. Hermit. And you know, Uranus yep. is, Uranus is revolutionary. Um, and you know, is very, give me freedom or give me, well, just give me freedom. Right. Give me freedom. And so that you can see that's like houses and apartments bursting at the seams. Like people are going to be so ready um, to get the poor extroverts a prayer. But then for look, the what, look, what, look what happens as soon as the next aspect, as soon as the moon clears Uranus. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it, I didn't Hello. say it was going to be good. I just said that's yeah. the vibe. So it squares right. Mars like after the conjunction with Uranus. So the sequence would be like new moon, moon then hits Uranus and this, um, like you're saying, a, a thrust for like liberation, but then in seeking freedom or an urge for freedom, but then the moon squares, Ur squares Mars immediately after that and you get the Mars significations, which are uh, problematic and negative. Yeah. You will, and you may have, um, I don't know, um, you know, this is just speculation at this point, but, you know, it may be that there are some places where um, people go into protest mode against quarantines or there's, you know, there's chaos that Mars and Mars and Aquarius is, um, you know, Mars, um, Mar Mars, does, Mars also does not like being contained uh, or locked up. Um, and Mars stimulates action, right? And uh, on an emotional level, Mars stirs anger. Um, <clears throat> so we may have something like that towards the end of the month as a result. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking of if if the if 
because one of the issues that we've been having over the past few weeks is people not taking it seriously, or there was like a lot of videos of like spring breakers like going out to beaches and like par- partying, and all of these like young people just like um, basically getting infected or potentially spreading around the virus, and that's one of the concerns of if people leave the quarantine too early and then there's a re um, spreading of the virus prematurely sooner than at least health officials would like at some point and i'm not sure like how long those different quarantines are going to last or what's going to be extended or what the advisories are going to be um, but that would be unfortunate if that's part of it if uh, you know, quest for needing to like get free and get out of the restrictions leads to greater problems in terms of that. Yeah, I think that we can say that people, if if where there are quarantines still in effect, people will be um, ready to get mad um, uh, around that lunation. Yes, I I agree. I think it's that sort of the wearing thin of patience about the restriction. And then I'm also holding space of like the Saturn overcoming square is now applying to planets in Taurus, as is the Mars overcoming square. So even when it's not active by degree, yep. there is still that sense of of pressure or containing or holding to to a certain level. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's not Mars conjunct Saturn conjunct Pluto with the South Node there. But, you know, in a normal year, we'd be like, ooh, that's kind of gnarly. Yes. It's just that we have to we have to grade on a 2020 scale. Yes, that's true. That is true. Um, it does look very – I hadn't – I liked how you spelled that out there, Austin, because the volatility, you know, to go back to the words we're using for Mars-Uranus, to see the moon kind of moving between Uranus and Mars in the hours following mm. that new moon, it does have this feeling of like – the uprising or the rebellion or, you know, and it, it doesn't, you know, whether we're allowed out of our homes or whether it's sort of the the voice of the people, but there is that sort of resistance movement, I guess. Well, and, you know, one thing that I bet we said in the yearly um, is that that's as sort of clear a focus as we're going to have on the Saturn-Uranus square this yes. year. And that's going to be, that Saturn-Uranus square is a huge part of 2021 and 2022. And this is, we have both the sun and the moon translating the light between Saturn and Uranus. Um, and so in terms of a sort of sneak peek um, into dynamics that are going to be going for a couple years, that that new moon and the following two days are, you know, that that that's that's a big part of what it's going to look like. Right, because it's not just the moon translating light or carrying it's the, the sun completing too. that square. It's the sun too. Yeah, that's a beautiful point. Yeah, and it's interesting just uh, that with the new moon taking place in between the degrees of the two of them, just that the moon and the sun are both separating from Saturn and then applying to Uranus. So that really does give that flare or that taste, that feeling that you're you're talking about, Austin of that transition from um, coming from or coming out of separating from isolation or separating from being locked down or restricted and moving towards um, having the Uranian like push for like freedom or loosening of restrictions or what have you. Yeah, and I bet we'll see some mm, some telling economic stuff um, around then too. 
Mm. Okay. So you know, just uh, as a as as a preview of the Saturn Uranus, right, which has a lot of economic Im- implications. Right, because you're still thinking about that in terms of the Saturn Uranus opposition as being one of the main signatures of the 2008 financial collapse. Yeah, and and it it it's relatively consistent. The Saturn Uranus alignments have a whole lot to do with how the capitalism works and doesn't work. Okay. Um, all right. So that's the new moon that's happening in Taurus. And just a few days later, so basically virtually around the same time, um, Pluto is actually stationing retrograde in Capricorn uh, as well, right? Yes. Yep, we get that station. There it is. So at 24 degrees of Capricorn, 2459. So it actually it almost makes it to 25 degrees, but then just barely doesn't. So it's 24, but virtually basically almost 20, 25 Capricorn. So this is as most stations are. I, I tend to interpret them as like an intensification of the planet and, and what it's signifying in the sign that it's transiting. So in this instance, it's partially intensifying just its transit through Capricorn, but also it's very closely conjunct Jupiter still at this time, which Jupiter is only at 26 degrees of Capricorn, so just like a degree and a half or two degrees away. Yeah, and look at Mercury being um, pretty much exactly square, both of them. Right, right at the same time at 26 areas. So, so Mercury's happy to uh, articulate that message, whatever, whatever, whatever loud bass note that Pluto sounds at that time. Mm. Right. What do you? What were you looking up, Kelly? Um, so many things. Um, I wanted to clarify the date of Pluto station retrograde, and I'm also thinking just still about that new moon with Uranus in Taurus and changes around food and food supply and food distribution, food innovation. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because I, I was looking up when when was Uranus in Taurus last time, like 1935 to 1942, and just remembering the, um, you know, people were growing their own vegetables, but also there was a lot of advancements with food technology to do, particularly to do with uh, um, supplying meals to the military and people that were on postings and things like that. So I, I wonder if we see something it's- escalating on the food technology front. When I did my research on uh, Uranus and Taurus themes, God, a year and a half ago, two years ago, yeah. um, food food was there every time. Every both time, the, both the uh, both the chocolate chip cookie and the potato chip were invented while Uranus was in Taurus, um, and of course, much more significant uh, changes to the way that agriculture is conducted and food supply and logistics. But you know. Chocolate chip cookie and potato chip are, um, you know, that's <laughs> you put the mad it's scientist so in Taurus, the. Uh, isn't it? It is. It's so Taurus. Oh my god! Salt and sweet. Um, right, which are the two salt, real food t- groups? T- yeah. <laughs> totally. So yeah. All right, um, but yeah, so- that's a great point. Mercury, maybe to complement that, Mercury then eventually goes into Taurus on the 27th, where it will eventually, I think the following month, meet up with Uranus. But maybe 
I don't know, is it moving fast enough? Does it make the conjunction with Uranus before the end of April? Yes, on the 30th. Yeah, it's like last minute on the 30th. Very end. It's just sneaking in. It's you know, it's very co-present and it's applying to a conjunction as soon as it goes into Taurus. So that's interesting, right? Because that's Mercury doing the same thing that the sun and the moon did the previous week, yes. right? That going, that going between Saturn and Uranus and going from Saturn to Uranus. And so I yeah. don't know, you know, if we're kind of including- figuring out when, when quarantines are likely going to end this last, um, this last week of April has a lot of from Saturn to Uranus um, symbolism. You know that that's literally what the planets are doing, um, and we've got the the Mars Saturn conjunction loosening and loosening and loosening. That looks um, that looks highly probable. Uh, Base or maybe that's when things get announced, and maybe it's like okay, first week of May, we're you know everybody can leave the house or whatever. But there's just a lot of that um, uh, moving away from Saturnian restriction and seeking Uranian freedom. Yes. I hadn't looked at that before we sat down. Uh, I hadn't looked at that in as much detail as we've gone over it together. Me neither. Yeah. Yeah, me neither. Um, Or like unexpected communication as like a Mercury-Uranus manifestation on April 30th with that conjunction. Yeah, so, and just a, a a pile of messages related to the Saturn Uranus topics for that entire week. Sure. Yes. All right. Um, so that kind of brings us to the end of the month. Are there any major things that we haven't mentioned or that we overlooked about the astrology of April? We did. We focused enough on because it's not. It's not fully like a this month thing, so we didn't focus it on a ton, but we did spend a sufficient amount of time talking about the upcoming Venus retrograde, which we're going to start getting a preview of here because Venus Venus hits its shadow as soon as it hits like five degrees of Gemini, right? Yeah, yeah. And what what See, day is I mean, that? Like how pretty early? much the whole like time, the ninth or tenth. Okay, so yeah, by the ninth or tenth, Venus is already past the degree that it will retrograde back to later, uh, which means that some of the events and circumstances that people will be experiencing during the course of the Venus retrograde during their personal lives will already be start being set up during the by the like second half of April. Yes. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Um, are there any other major things like that that we should have touched on or that we should mention before we start wrapping up this episode? I think we've done a really thorough job. Okay. So, okay, good. All right. Um, well, any other discussion topics? I want to check. I'm going to check the outline very quickly, but if there are any other things that we meant to mention uh, in this episode, anything on your mind, Austin? Well, there's just so, I mean, yeah, obviously. <laughs> that's a, that's a mean, hard. Is you- there anything else to talk about? Is <laughs> right. it's a, you know, could we go into more detail about anything? We- um, w- one thing. One thing I will just say, uh, just a couple things, real quick. You know, this is the last year of a two hundred plus year cycle. We're moving from the yes. Earth triplicity into the air, as uh, numerous astrologers have noted. Um, among them, the illustrious Kelly Surtees. Oh. Um, 
Um, disease is a thing. Um, is a spe is a thing that lands more in the air triplicity time than in any of the other three. That's a thing. Um, <clears throat> there. Let's see. But and it's but and so we're you know one of the reasons twenty twenty is hard is we've got a couple giant things happening. One is that switch from you know uh, from Earth from Earth to air. Another is the Saturn Pluto conjunction happening in the same space. Saturn Pluto conjunctions are uh, traumatic uh, culturally. They, um, like uh, like Rick Turner said, they often bring about feelings of isolation, building of walls. Um, you know, the <clears throat> the one thing I noticed um, looking back is I was like, oh, they're also great for disease. Um, the last one in uh, Libra brought us the AIDS epidemic. Yeah, they are also. The Saturn Pluto, <clears throat> the Saturn Pluto alignments are also. They tend to be um, points of um, state overreach. You know, the last uh, the last alignment we had was the opposition between Saturn and Pluto, which occurred um, right in the middle of nine eleven, right? And so then we saw in the United States as a reaction to that uh, that that trauma. Um, you know, we had a Patriot Act. Um, which gave, uh, 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 which offered security agencies um, and powers that they'd never seen before, which has been re-ratified um, every year since then. Um, and if we look back at the the history of the Saturn-Pluto conjunctions and oppositions, um, you know, we have traumatic events. We also have uh, totalitarian reactions to traumatic events. You know the the Department of Justice um, over the last week already um, well put forward a motion to be able to detain um, people indefinitely and to suspend normal um, to suspend uh, normal due process. You know th these are things that as we're reacting to real threats and trying to you know, uh, trying to keep everybody as safe as possible. Um, you know, the, the, we need to keep an eye on these things. And if there are emergency powers that are granted that they have an, an expiration date rather than just get to go forward forever, like the Patriot Act, um, this is a, this is a theme with Saturn Pluto, but it's tied in with this 200 year transition. It's really, you know, there's so much to, there's so much to discuss. Did we talk about subsumption, Chris? No, we I did like, not. I'm so, I'm so out of it. I'm glad you guys have been carrying me through this episode. Um, I have a bunch of stuff in you the outline that we, we we didn't even touch on. Yeah, it's re it's really funny because I'm I'm gonna actually probably give off the impression that I'm more well than I than I am, but I'm actually in terrible shape right now. So thanks for your help today, and thanks to the audience who joined us today, who have also been very helpful with their comments. Um, that is one topic I did want to mention as a topic of discussion, which is <clears throat> something called the doctrine of subsumption, which is actually first defined by uh, the astrologer CEO Carter in 1945 in an article in an astrological journal in the UK that he edited at, at the time. And CEO Carter is one of the major uh, astrologers of the 20th century who was a British astrologer. And he wrote that article in 1945, just after the end of World War II. And the purpose of the article was to kind of define something that was taken into 
taken for granted in the astrological tradition, but not usually given a name. And it's this idea that um, each individual birth chart is subsumed under a series of larger charts of increasingly large magnitude um, in the context of, of mundane astrology or in the context of astrology in general. So for example, you can have like your birth chart, um, but then you can also have, and, and let's say you're having good transits on a specific day, but if you're in like, let's say, a building and that building itself has a birth chart, but then the building collapses, and let's say there's like 30 people in the building and all of them die at the same time, in some way, the thing that they were all a part of um, and its chart acting as this larger entity that they're all sharing at that time ends up overruling in some way or being the dominant one. A dominant chart signature at that time that then can almost override their own in some sense. And I'm not sure that if that's actually a good analogy because I just thought of it off the top of my head. But the more relevant analogy is there's also charts for cities or a chart for a country. So when I say like larger oh. scale, larger scale charts, we're talking about mm. how sometimes in mundane astrology, charts or astrological signatures or, or let's say influences for lack of a better term that are affecting the collective can end up um, influencing larger groups of people and indicating something that's more overriding or pressing than whatever the individual natal charts are indicating at that time. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I, the way that I interpret it and see it is that it changes the baseline Right. So, for example, if you're in a super fortunate year, but you're in a country that has just been invaded in a war, so maybe you, um, you know, you're safe and managed to get away with food from the front lines or whatever, while your friends, um, you know, while your friends or family do not. Like that's fortunate. You're still having a fortunate year. But it's in the context of the the baseline for the collective in which you live, because you know the it it I it, it's not that the individual uh, destinies and karmas don't matter, but it's relative to the baseline of the the larger thing that you're in, right? Like I to like um I, I will have a good or bad year, but relative to the baseline of being an American right now. Right. And so you could have like a year that's great for, let's say, great for profession. Not that my year is. Um, quick note Kelly and I both entered sixth house perfections, which are about health and disease, um, right before all this shit started. And it was kind of weird to feel like like these themes started popping up for me um, because I'm in a sixth house year in the entire world. Uh, feels like it entered a sixth house year. But anyway, sorry, that's an aside. Um, yeah, um, it changes the baseline, right? If it's a bad year, it's bad in that context. If it's good, it's good in that context. Um, and you don't, um, you know, you don't, it's not, it's, it, there are a lot of years or actually when the society that you're in is sort of in a neutral place, then you really see the individual 
fate uh, or destiny or karma or whatever, you see the individual baseline assert itself very clearly. But mm. when there's big stuff happening, good or bad, in the col in a collective in which in, in which you are part of, um, that becomes your baseline rather than your individual baseline. Sorry, that was not terribly yeah. articulate, but I think no, I made that's my good. point. And, but that's the, it was great. <clears throat> that's the importance okay. then of mundane astrology, and it's it's one of the reasons why we try to do what we do each, each month and with the yearly forecasts, even the long term forecast, to try to describe as best we can. The archetypal signatures that are going to be prevailing in the collective, and how sometimes in some instances, especially with major outer planet alignments, that can end up influencing large groups of people all at once, or at least in a larger larger clumps or larger con collectives than than usual, and how sometimes yeah. that can really affect. You know everybody's chart. Even if you don't have a specific transit in your chart that's getting activated, that's showing that specific thing necessarily. How, as a part of society, you're still getting affected, affected in in some crucial way. Mm -hmm. And Anyways. you also see the the exceptions, right? Like, so is this time? Is this a good time economically? No. What if you own a factory Except. that makes ramen noodles? Yes. Right. What it, you know, um, and there, there's like the baseline. We could say, oh, the baseline is negative, and but there are some people, or there, yeah, there's some situations where you're even further below the baseline. Like, let's say, you know, you have a sports team, right, or you're part of a sports team that had its season canceled. So it's not just like, oh, you know, missed a month of work, you know, rent's going to be hard. Like, literally, the entire season is wiped, or you know, or um, I make ramen noodles. Oh, this is actually sales have actually been really good. Um, you know, they're always deviations. Well, you're a toilet from the paper baseline. producer, right? I was yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> I really missed out on not investing in uh, toilet paper stocks like a month or two ago. Yeah, no, but it's I funny. think I had your point, Austin, around like yes, generally it is a bad economic time, but there are certain industries and areas that will flourish that are like that are counter cyclical. Grocery stores are usually mm -hmm. one of those types of industries where when the general economy drops, people just go to the grocery store because they're not paying for air flights or you know going on holidays type of thing. Yeah. Or if you if you make chili cans of chili, you're yes. I I personally have been keeping you in business. Um, <laughs> I did a, I we did an apocalypse uh, Costco run. I don't know last a, a month ish ago, and I was like, what 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 will I be happy eating? What will keep me alive and um, be acceptable that is canned? And I was like, I would like sixty cans of chili right now. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Toilet paper down on the list. I can do without that, but I'm going to need yeah. some chili. I'm going to need some protein. Totally. I There's some joke in there, but I, I don't want to go you're there. Not, you're so, not quick enough on the ball to make it today, Chris. No, I'm not. Next next month, I'll come back with a joke about that. But uh, yeah. So to wrap up that discussion, I just wanted to mention it because it's something that's relevant when we're talking about something that's happening for thousands of people where the entire world is being affected right now. And where something like a single transit of, obviously it's not just a single transit, there's a lot of things happening, but where some specific long-term outer planet cycles could be 
indicating something that's affecting you know the entire world like the saturn pluto conjunction or like the eclipses yeah. or the saturn uranus square or what have you all of the many different things that are going to be happening this year so it yeah, probably goes back to the idea of root charts and other things there's a lot of things tied in there but maybe we'll do an episode on that separately at some point um other yeah oh, kelly did you have something i would just to the point that austin made earlier about this being the last year and this 200 plus year of the earth grand conjunctions i do think that is worth just making sure people are keeping in their mind that saturn and pluto are conjunct every 40 years or so 31 to 37 years i think is the exact number and i'm not saying saturn pluto is happy but it's very interesting to have a saturn pluto conjunction at the end of a longer 200 year cycle it's sort of like deconstruction on multiple levels of larger cycles all happening at the same time and i think that highlights why 2020 is such a massive transition year on so many levels, socially, culturally, financially, government, but also internally as well that, you know, people talk about the idea of a new world order or new priorities emerging and the egalitarian, like there's a French word, I think it's egalement or something. And I hear people say it like, and also for you, and it's sort of like, we're all in this together. And that's been something that's emerging more and more that we are like, I don't know that we've ever recorded a show like this, where everybody has spent the last however many days or even weeks just at home. We don't have anything exciting to talk about because we haven't been to the movies and nobody's taken a trip recently. We've just been like getting creative with cooking at home, basically. (laughs) Well, yeah, I wouldn't well, we say didn't have that we like don't an extended have anything excitement. It, go ahead. We didn't have an extended like 30-minute digression at the start of the show about like Austin having a Mercury retrograde story trying to get his passport or something like that. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, we did, that was 12 we months didn't even, ago. <laughs> we didn't even talk about how when Mercury went back into Pisces, it can join my Mars again, and instead of hurting my toe, I hurt my finger. I slammed it in the door. And it's uh <laughs> right right hand, right foot, and then uh, right next to the pinky toe, right next to the pinky finger. Um, it was Mercury. I hurt my foot the first time, and I slammed my finger in a door during the second conjunction. But uh, I have one more uh, grim uh, but useful astrological note. So transit-wise, we have uh, we've already moved beyond the Mars, Saturn, Pluto, Jupiter, all in one place. But the Aries ingress chart, which you know, as is one of the major historical methods for looking at mm. oh, the yes. astrology of the world for a year. The Aries ingress chart locks in Saturn, Mars, Jupiter, Pluto, all at the end of Capricorn. And so there is a little bit of uh, of keeping that, um, you know, uh, if only the, the, the equinox had occurred three days later, but it didn't. Um, and so for the, you know, for yearly charts for a lot of countries, um, we're going to keep that all year. Yes, that's a yeah. good point. And then that becomes a like a root chart or a precedent chart in and of itself. Uh, the chart that, that does the subsuming. Right, exactly. Yes. So that's interesting thing to think about both in a mundane sense as well as in your own lives. Because CEO Carter used an example of like a marriage chart and how the marriage chart then subsumes everything that comes subsequent to that, perhaps in the family unit, or how you, if you do an electional chart, how sometimes everything that comes after that relative to what you've initiated 
gets subsumed under the original chart. So it's just something interesting to think about. Um, yeah. Other other topics related actually to what you were talking about, Kelly. When I was rereading Tarnus's treatment of the Saturn Pluto conjunction and how he was just outlining it very clearly as defining these different epochs, like the first one of the 20th century being um, coinciding like really closely with World War One or with the start of World War One, and then the second one coinciding with uh, the start of the Cold War. And just how it very clearly outlines these different phases in history and sets the stage for what will then come over the course of the next thirty to forty years between one conjunction and another. Um, realizing that what's happening right now, around the time of the Saturn-Pluto conjunction, is we're literally seeing the start of a new thirty to forty-year phase and the foundations of what will come over the next few decades being laid. During the course of this like major event or this major catastrophe, and it's really wild to to witness that like in our lifetimes. Yep, it is. Yeah, we're um, we're back to participating in history rather than just reading about it. Just observing. Right. That's it. so. You know, I, I I agonized over what to call my 2020 article, and I, I just settled on the bridge because it's it's the it's the rough transition. Um, what is, what is between it one thing, the bridge, the bridge. Okay. Yeah. Because it, image... 2020 is a, it's a rough transition between epochs. Yeah. The image that I used in my 2020 lecture sort of tour that I did in January was, uh, like a, it was two cliffs and the bridge between them was a butterfly sort of indicating the transformation to get from where we are to where we're going. And while a butterfly is kind of a pretty looking image, it basically indicates the, the complete destruction or destroying of what is to become a totally new entity with different levels of movement and capability. Right. Mm, yeah. I like that. Right. Transformation is, um, on a bodily level, very uncomfortable. Very. Definitely. Um, so on these happy notes. <laughs> yeah, it's like other other That is what really it quick, is, you know. <laughs> yeah. Other really quick bullet points. I mean, if we under normal circumstances, we would talk a little bit about how all the people with Saturn and Aquarius have just started their Saturn returns. Yeah. Um <clears throat> that's a thing. We'll probably save that maybe for next time. Under a more darker note, one of the realizations I had around the time that Saturn moved into Aquarius um, that made me nervous, because I was already nervous about it as we've started to lose an episode I'm about to release, is uh, Robert Zoller passed away a few weeks ago, uh, who was a prominent astrologer and one of the founders of Project Hindsight. And um, a lot of those major astrologers of the Pluto and Leo generation. Um, we're already getting older, and I already had that sort of push that I've talked about several times in the podcast over the past year or two to start trying to get interviews with a bunch of them to get their life stories documented. But I, I just realized when Saturn ingressed into Aquarius, I hadn't thought about it, but that starts a Saturn Pluto opposition in all of the like Pluto and Leo charts. So that entire generation of basically like the baby boomers. That were born with Pluto and Leo from 1939 until uh, 1957, all just started a Saturn opposition uh, or a transiting 
opposition of Saturn to their natal Plutos by sign, and eventually at some point by degree. And of course, they're all part of the people that are most susceptible or most vulnerable to the coronavirus right now, just in terms of that age group. Yeah, that's yes. a really good, sad point. Also, the you know when um, when a number of those um, sicknesses are due to occur, Mars, Saturn, both in Aquarius, um, opposing that Pluto over the next month and a half. Right. Um, Which okay. you know and we I, already know. And I know we need to wrap up soon. Last point was just um, there was a new comet that's been discovered. And I think that actually might become more important because it was actually discovered, um, I think, at the end of December. They first spotted it on December 28th or 29th through telescopes, but it's started growing. It started growing in brightness rapidly after discovery, and it may become visible to the naked eye over the course of the next uh, month or two. And um, that's kind of weird. It kind of reminds me of some of the traditional omenology surrounding comets, often which of which is not very pos positive. Um, I remember one instance from my own life, and I'm sure there's others, but I remember that time when there was like a comet that appeared like right after the uh, death of Saddam Hussein around uh, like 2006, I think, if I'm remembering like the time frame correctly, or maybe it was 2005. Um, uh, yeah, you probably know some of the omenology surrounding comets, Austin. Well, I mean, they, they herald disaster. Yeah. So as that starts to become visible over the next few weeks, that's an interesting thing to pay attention to and just sort of notice, especially if it does become visible to the naked eye over the course of whatever ensues over the next month or two coinciding with that. Um, all right. I think those are all of the major things that I wanted to note from the outline. Um, we should mention what do you guys have going on over the course of the next month? Kelly, are you you're not you're going to be traveling and giving lots of workshops? Oh or? yeah, I'm everywhere. No, I'm yeah. so grateful I went everywhere last year. Okay, I'm going to do this quickly because I know we've got to wrap up. Um, I did give a talk on the Saturn conjunct Jupiter cycles last year at an astrology university event, the 2020 summit. Tony has actually made that available free for a few days, so there's about eight or 10 lectures that are just available free online right now. Demetra George, um, amongst a bunch of other people, but my talk is available free there. Um, coming up in April, I am starting my next class. It's a four-part training on the 10 planets in astrology that begins uh, Monday, April 13, online, of course. And I'm giving a webinar <laughs> called Diving into the Darkness, Exploring the 8th and 12th Houses on Saturday, April 4th. I've got a live Q&A for my members on April 3 as well, if anybody wants to become a member and join us there. So I do have a few things going on in April online. Uh, and your nice. website's kellysastrology.com? Yes, thank you. Sorry, forgot the important part. I wasn't sure if you'd mentioned it. I just wanted to mention it again. If not, uh, Austin, what do you got going on? Well, um, my yearly classes are due to begin in April. My um, my fundamentals of astrology year one and year two get started in April. Um, I would, if people want to be part of it, they should sign up um, sooner rather than later. I will I will leave 
late registration open until the first meeting on April 12th. Um, but, um, you know, homework and videos and class starts, uh, April 1st. Awesome. And your website is austincopic.com. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Okay, cool. And as for me, I'm just going to be sleeping probably and surviving. And, uh, once I'm hoping I get back to normal, the Mars Saturn conjunction is going to be in my first house, which I'm not sure what that is about, and I'm hoping uh, for the best. But if that goes well, hopefully getting back to normal and then just keeping the podcast going is going to be my main thing. Um, I'm hoping to do an episode on outer planet cycles here in the not-too-distant future, and I'm talking to Becca Tarnas about uh, recording that, uh, but otherwise we'll see how things go. So uh, you can find out more information about that, of course, at theastrologypodcast.com. And uh, if you want to support the production of that uh, or this episode or any future episodes, consider becoming a patron uh, through our page on Patreon. And thanks to everybody who has been supporting the podcast. I really appreciate it, especially you know as financial as times get more difficult, um, that can be tough. But yeah, I'm going to keep the podcast going. Uh, I think that's it, guys. I think that's it for this episode. Thanks a lot for doing this with me. I'd been really looking forward to it, and I was bummed to miss the episode last Sunday, but I'm glad we were able to to get it together and do it today. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I'm glad you're uh, better and hopefully on the mend. Yes. Hopefully. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. We'll check in again next month, uh, a few weeks from now, for our forecast, whatever the next forecast is, the forecast for May. And hopefully the world hasn't changed as radically by then, but we'll we'll see what happens. Yeah, I'm sure there will be a lot to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, thanks everybody for watching or listening to this episode of the Astrology Podcast. Thanks to all the patrons. This is our biggest attended episode ever, with I think over a hundred patrons attending in the live audience. Thanks everyone for your comments. They've been great. Sorry we couldn't read all of them because there were so many, but we appreciate it. Um, please be sure to subscribe to the channel or like this video if you haven't already. Uh, and I think that's it for this episode of the Astrology Podcast. So um, good luck, everyone. Try to stay stay in and stay healthy, and we'll see you again next month. Take care, everyone. Thanks to the patrons who helped to support the production of this episode of the Astrology Podcast through our page on patreon.com. In particular, shout out to patrons Christine Stone, Nate Craddock, and Marin Altman, as well as the Astrogold Astrology app available at astrogold.io, the Portland School of Astrology at portlandastrology.org, and the Honeycomb Collective Personal Astrological Almanacs available at honeycomb.co. The production of this episode of the podcast is also supported by the International Society for Astrological Research which is hosting a major astrology conference in Denver, Colorado, September 10th through the 14th, 2020. More information about that at isar2020.org. And finally, also Solar Fire Astrology Software, which is available at alabe.com, and you can use the promo code AP15 for a 15% discount on that software. For more information about how to become a patron of the Astrology Podcast and help support the production of future episodes, while getting access to subscriber benefits like early access to new episodes or other bonus content, go to patreon.com/astrologypodcast. 